Thank God Jessica got her big 565 before this lockdown. Yeah, I know, man. She actually um she got the Sheffield invite. She was gonna be going to Sheffield on yeah. two weeks notice. And uh yeah, I was like it was pretty devastating just all around. Like, you know, she wanted that so bad. She gets the invite. Um and then 13 days out, she gets yanked. And, like, Brett and I had been working for, like, seven months leading up to that. And he was just, like, on fucking fire. Dude, you know, big then... time. Holy shit. So, okay, how did the Brett situation happen? How did he end up, um, like, you guys start working together. And when you guys were working together, I mean, he was killing it. That, that mock meat he did in the gym. Holy shit. Yeah. I think he did. Yeah, yeah, he crushed that. Um, what's that? I think he did. What, what did he total in that mock meet in the gym? Uh, 862.5. Yeah. Yeah, that was fucking Like, massive. just huge, outrageous. I think at the time, and still, it was like 30 kilos over the world record total or 20 or something like that. <laughs> Which is bananas. And uh, there, was, there was room to spare. I think that day he was still like about 87 kilos but the, the cuts never really take too much out of breath he's such a professional about it at this point that mm. you know he's done nine worlds he knows how to cut and maintain his strength and you know he's he's no stranger to sitting in a sauna and then just going and putting up world records so yeah. uh, we were going in really confident he was going to hit at least 860 and that was kind of like and for me professionally i was going to be coaching Brett on the men being hard for first and then on the women's side like top three female lifter there so both of them were fired up they were both in like money positions too like to win good chunks of money mm. and i'm looking at it like who am i i'm just this independent coach from canada and i'm coaching like top three female and top three male at sheffield like only 24 yeah. people get i'm <laughs> coaching like 20 percent of the world elite. So that was <laughs> something I was really looking forward to having them both crush it. Yeah. How? So that is a good then, question. So let's talk about. Get, let's talk about who is Justin Reeson. How did you get? How did this this happen? Because I mean, the more success you have, the more people are going to come to you. And then when a guy like Brett, who's been in the game for years, it's one thing to get somebody when they're when they're new and they have a whole bunch of gains early. Well, no shit, because they're only going to go up when they first start. Brett has been around he, a decade at World Championships, and you put on solid kilos onto. I mean, it was a mock meet, I get it, but I mean, he, he he's never looked stronger. So, look, numbers don't lie. So, so when people see this, obviously they're going to start being like, "Holy shit!" You know, we, we got to take a look at Justin Reeson here. Have people have people started reaching out to you since this? Has it just been growing? Uh. uh... What's that? Has this just been growing? I guess the pandemic. I guess the pandemic is a shitty time for. I guess this really put a dent yeah, in that. It's shut down over there. Yeah. Yeah. Like business is taking a, a significant hit. In March, there, I think, uh, yeah, revenue was down like 65, 70% initially in March. And then I, I became like a personal shopper for people all around the world, helping them set up little home gyms, get as much equipment as they could. And then. It started to pick up again, but it's still nowhere near where it was. But Brett's always, he's, he just kind of stays in his own lane. He was never, like, pumping me on social media or anything. When I was in Auckland, like, in New Zealand, 
Jess and I are training at Get Strength in Auckland there. And there's just a whole bunch of New Zealand lifters. And one of the guys is like, so you're a coach, right? Like, do you coach anybody I know? And I was like, well, you see uh, her over there? He was like, oh, you're Jess's coach? I was like, yeah, man. And I was like, and have you heard of, like, Brett Gibbs? He was like, well, yeah. I was like, yeah, I coach Brett Gibbs. He's like, oh, so, like, you're a good coach. Yeah, sort like, of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, sort of. So, I don't know. I just, I just always kind of remained anonymous and he I'm fine with it. he was never like pushing my name on social media or anything he was just lifting and enjoying that and that's fine and yeah I don't I'm not too active on social media I just really enjoy getting really strong people even stronger and whatever happens with that happens with that I'm not out here to take over the world I just like doing what I like doing right and staying independent I mean it's funny how this day and age I mean there's a time when it was just people who are independent but now everyone knows exactly what you mean yeah there are like i don't know if conglomerates is the word or but it's coaching services for sure and it's branded and yeah coalition coalitions that's right and because there's once you become like a coalition you get like five coaches on you or you know whatever you got a coaching yeah. staff now you're reaching more people under your brand quote unquote your brand so you make a brand name for your coaching and then you have like five coaches. So instead of having 30, 40, 50 athletes, whatever, you can have 200, 250, 300 athletes underneath your coaching brand. All of a sudden, it's easier to hit pay dirt because you just have a, a, a vast yeah. talent pool and, and, and you're reaching it. Everyone's rocking your tags, rocking athletes, your shirts. Right. right. And, then, and then it becomes, because of the branding of it, it becomes like... Um, you know, you, your T-shirts, your hashtags, whatever, start really getting out. Have you thought about taking it that route? Or, you know, even if just for yourself, you know, being like, you know what? I need to start making some logos. I need to start making, you know, I got to start doing hashtags and start making a push. How do you feel about all this? Or is it just like, fuck, I don't want to deal with this. Maybe you I just mean, want a partner to do that. Yeah, something like that. When I, when I started the business back in 2015... You know, I was doing some work on the branding side, like writing articles, putting stuff out. I actually made a couple t-shirts. They sold really well. Like the Lift Hacks, Lift Hacks is the name of my business. Okay. Although it's, I've had coaches under me at certain points, but now it's just me. So I kind of like the brand is me and my coaching more so than the identification of Lift Hacks. But it's a really good looking logo. And, uh, you know, people bought the shirts they liked and I still see them wrapping it. And like, you know, I have some clients that have been with for five years now. And every now and again, I see them wearing their shirt. And I'm like, oh, I should put out more shirts, man. Like, I feel like some people would be into that. But then I'm like, ah. <laughs> the, the, the actual coaching demand just took off. Right. And anytime I have excess time, I don't look at it as like, okay, what am I going to do now to like make more money or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, wow, like I have some extra time. I'm going to check up on my people and make sure that they're doing well and like, you know, if you have a client usually just work with once per week via email, all of a sudden you pop them a message like, hey, like, how'd your big squat day go yesterday? And they're like, you know, they just feel that investment and that excites them. And that's just always something I've put the energy into as opposed to the branding and whatnot. Um, in terms of working with other coaches, that's something I have been interested in. Uh, I know you know Jackson Spencer. Yeah. Um, like, two-time silver medalist and then eventual world champion. I coached him for a while, and then he actually worked under me, like, kind of as a sub 
with this, carrying like 15 to 20 clients here and there uh, for over two years. Um, and he did pretty well with it. Uh, but he, his goal was always to win a world championships, retire and become a lawyer. And when he started ramping up to go to law school, it was kind of this discussion of, all right, man, I know that powerlifting has been a big part of your life. And like, you're making some good money doing coaching here, but if you're really going to be a lawyer, you got to fully invest in that. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, like, I think I'm ready to, to step back from this. And you know, Austin Ryan as well. Yeah. Um, like coaches, Eric Willis, Walter, all these guys, a number of years ago now, four years ago, maybe he and I actually like had sat down and we're starting to bang out numbers for like actually kind of merging our businesses and working together. I think he's one of the best coaches in Canada, if not the world. And that was something like I was really stoked about like he and I working together. Uh, um, but then last minute he wanted to pursue it on his own and see what he could accomplish. And he's still one of my best buddies. So like, I was a bit bummed that we didn't merge and work together because you look at our client loads now, man, like the rosters we have, but he's, he's done extremely well and couldn't be happier for the guy. So at this point, it's just, uh, yeah, I just work with people that I like working with. It is. Um, I know you mean like, yeah, if you guys combine. So for anyone who doesn't know what, what he's, he's got Eric Willis under his belt. Who's obviously an IPF world champion. You with Brett, Jessica. I mean, you guys would have, Several world champions just with two of you. Just with two of you alone. I mean, you have quite the resume, yeah. let alone yeah. all these national champions and international medalists, etc. So, yeah, man. I mean, it would be... It's it's one of those... This is what I find. The same thing with Kingless. It's probably the same thing with every single business out there. You reach a point where you do, you're doing what you love to do is the coaching side. And you... I know what you mean where you're like, if I got five minutes, I want to fucking coach. I want to call up my athlete and be like, how's your squat going? Let's, let's work on this. Let me see. Oh, it went well. Let me see the video. Like you want to coach. Whereas, um, it's like, yeah. I don't want to sell a fucking t-shirt. I'll sell a t-shirt. Cool. It's good. But I'm not, I don't lay my head on the pillow being like, Oh, I can't wait to sell another t-shirt, but you'll, you'll do it. But it's like, I'm the same way with King of Lipsmith where I'm like, I want to do, I want to talk powerlifting. I want to do media. I'm not amped up about hunting down sponsors and fucking selling t-shirts and shit. You know what I mean? It's different. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I have a deep love for business. Um, it's always something that's interesting to me, especially the financial side. Um, but when it comes to like the actual application of that, the theory and the learning about it is as exciting for me as doing it. Like, yeah. um, or more so, like I just never feel this drive to, become some kind of eminent voice in the powerlifting world and just put myself out there as some like expert that's pumping out videos. Like, I mean, I make videos every single week for my clients. Like when they, when I'm trying to get them to work on a certain thing, like I'll make a five, six minute video of like me demonstrating little intricacies about the technique that they need to try and apply to themselves to make a better structure. And like, sometimes they hit me back being like, man, you should put that on YouTube. Like yeah. that video was just <laughs> super high quality and i'm like eh. <laughs> i should but yeah. but then i'm just like uh like i don't mind remaining anonymous and then you know the more you put out the more I want you to put out and then you just keep getting distracted by this potential for growth in all these different directions and then you stop coaching as much right and that's the fun part for me man i'm lucky that i make a good living doing it but 
there was a period in time in which I was coaching for free to the detriment of my schooling and own training at the time because I just couldn't stop myself from enjoying coaching. It's just what I like doing. Um, so yeah, I should probably push myself harder on the business development side of things. And well, I mean, Brett and I have something in the works that we're starting to look at. That's good. Like, like here's my um, thoughts on it. So sorry, you go ahead. You finish your thought. I said, Brett and I have something in the works that uh, we're going to try and put together and see what comes of it. And he, he's as good a coach as he is a lifter. Um, so I'm pretty stoked to collaborate with him on something and see what we can, can maybe do. Um, and again, that's exciting because it, it's more coaching opportunity. And I'm working with someone that I respect as a lifter and a coach who's also become like one of my closest buddies. Um, so that kind of business development excites me because you're doing it with someone you respect and you're stoked to work with. Um, but just like business growth for the sake of it. Right. I don't know. It doesn't fire me up too much. Right. Yeah. It's gotta be genuine. I know you mean where maybe I'm, maybe I'm lazy. No, no. Here's what it is. You're 100% not lazy. What it is, is, um, you could put, you know, the big, the big thing is time is, is the, the commodity, right? That you only have so many hours in a day. So if you're going to split up your time, yeah. you, you make these decisions where it's like, I want to hone my craft. I'm a fucking coach. Like I would, if that's where I remember. So I got on a business partner, Adrian, and he came on saying, basically, look, you only have so much time in a day and your growth will eventually stall out at a certain point. And you got to start making decisions where it's like, do I start taking my attention off of what I, A, number one, you don't even have to fucking pay me to do. And I'm going to do it. You will murder a job. You will kill a job when I don't got to pay you a dime and you're going to do it. And you're saying you were doing it for free before to your detriment. That's when you know somebody's going to kill it. If, if there's someone else going against you, but they got to make a decent chunk of change, they need some guarantees. They need this, that, and the other guaranteed for them. Or I got a guy like you who's like, I'm just going to fucking make it happen. You are the dude who's going to make it happen. You're, you're on the right lane. You're in the right lane. Now, if there's other aspects that pop up, and it becomes like, it starts pulling you away from that. It's, it starts getting to the point where you, you've, this is where Adrian was telling me, you've reached a, a situation in your business where that's where you start bringing on other parties to help out, start picking up the load. So you stay doing what you should be doing to stay killing it. And they start picking up some of those things like whatever it is, marketing and, and freaking some of the extra videos and stuff. And Because if you, yeah. you can get bogged down. You can get straight bogged down. You can't do it all. Oh no, and that's what I that's what I've learned. But I mean, it, it would be like I have a journalism degree. Writing is probably my strongest suit as mm. a coach. Is the way that I actually connect through writing and explain things and get people very bought in to what they're doing through the way it's being and the kind of philosophical I approach training with. Um, so actually putting out some of those concepts in writing I think would have you know, a measure of success. I don't know what I would really get from it besides the fact that these are topics I think about all day long and every time I really dig deep on expressing what I'm thinking about, whatever it is, you know, relationships with performance, kind of the dichotomy between like our athlete self and our true self. And every time I write about these things, people go bananas for it. Um, so, you know, just getting that out to more people, maybe 
I would just enjoy that for the sake of getting people thinking about coaching and lifting in a way that I do. Yeah. Um, Would I I make money off it? I don't know. I know you can make money off blogs. Like I watch Abby Silverberg, man. That guy is a blogging, writing, Google Analytics demolition crew on his own. And I know he's doing well with it. Yeah. Would I be able to make money from it? I'd probably be like, I don't care about if it ranks on Google or anything. Like, yeah, I just yeah. want to write it and put it out there. And that's that's where you bring someone on who's like, okay, okay, you've got this phenomenal content, but if you wanted to reach people, this is what you got to do. I'd probably be like, you want to just do that? <laughs> like, I don't. Don't tell me what I got to do. I'll I'll be the thinking guy. You yeah. be the get it to the world guy. And that's kind of where. So- you putting together a team of people would help when you start like bringing in people and be like, what's your skills? Like, are you a, are you a media guy and you can get it out there? Cause I'll bring the content in blah, blah, blah. Right. Fill in the blanks. And that's kind of where I think like some of these coaching staffs where they do the divide and conquer thing, it helps out. But I mean, so when, when you started, like how did you end up in the position you were? Cause you're also funny. We're listening a national team coach as well. You've done handling right up at the world level. Very successfully. Yeah. Yeah, I even handled you. You did pretty you did, good, didn't you? You did it right, dude. We we did some things. We did some things. You pulled some tricks out. Yeah, I was talking about it. That was on... actually a that was a really fun session in Sweden. I really enjoyed that. Sweden was wild, man. We were yeah, there. Yeah, that was cool. You uh, you yeah, you've you've sharpened your teeth, so to speak, at the world level with handling and the whole nine. So how did how did you end up deciding you want to become a coach? Like, was it always for you, you want to be a coach first? Like, do you get more out of coaching than you do competing? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just they're totally different elements of my personality. Um, I mean, you experienced it yourself. The way I would, like, adapt to your personality and really get in there and be galvanizing and get you fired up. Like, you're already pretty in it yourself. So just, like, the coaching side of things really allows me to use – my social skills to other people's benefit as applied to a sport that I'm passionate about. And that's just really fun and fulfilling. When you just locked in with someone, you found out exactly kind of the tone and posture they need from you to really be elevated and you get that trust. And it's just like, you know, whatever decision you make now, they believe in it and they just have to go out there and do their thing and compete and fucking crush it. That's super fulfilling for me. And it's kind of, as a competitor, that that side of things is more like this meditative theory that I really love. Um, Like, when I'm lifting, it's like the world stops existing. You get in this just revved up mental state and nothing's there and you don't have to worry about anything. And lifting heavy shit is just fun. I really like that. That's why I do this, right? Um, But it's fleeting. When it's done, it's done. Right. Whereas that person you were when you were coaching whoever it was and you really brought them up, that doesn't go anywhere. That's like a relationship that builds and maintains itself. And it also just changes how you are or with everybody in your life. It really, yeah. Coaching it at high level meets with high level lifters and getting these elite, usually extraordinarily a type independent people to just be like you're my guy i'm doing whatever you say i'm just so bought in that's a thrilling thing and it just uh it's it's cool when it all comes to fruition and they end up accomplishing what they wanted to yeah it's 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 different than the lifting side it's more uh 
it's more eternal, I guess. Do you feel like uh, I know what you mean where it's it's something when you can actually get somebody to just put their trust in you. It's it's nerve wracking shit. Like it's I, anyone who's done any kind of handling, and I haven't handled at the world level, but when this person is like, I'm putting my entire trust into you right now, and and it's like when it comes to Jessica, for instance, we're talking. This is the fucking top of the food chain at the worlds, and you guys are doing some big things or unofficial world records, etc. And it's it's pretty flipping hands on, man. Because you guys with Jessica, she's got to cut some mad weight. Her cut stories have been monumental. Um, so when this person is like, walk me through this, right, right. Like I've seen you with Jessica at worlds, and it starts like during the week. What's your body weight at? You know the water and, oh, yeah. and the whole nine to how you feeling last workouts before that week to like how's the flight how's the, like I seen like it, it's the difference between you maybe and some of these you know services might be that you are a little more just focused on straight up hands on and be like get involved and she's bought in you could tell when I, I could tell when as a Sweden she's just like totally bought in all right steer steer the plane and land us down and we're gonna get there. But um, let's let's talk about some of these when it comes into like weight cutting, because she said it's gotten crazy with Jessica. She wraps up a saran wrap. Things get stressful. Well, I know, dude. Like we, she was still wearing saran wrap. She forgot around her abdomen and her legs when she went to weigh in at nationals. <laughs> I've never, like she had John, she had jaundice from her her nose down to like her face was going yellow. You know, she she cut like three point eight kilos in eight hours after already dehydrating, water loading, sodium depleting, yeah. you know, she had already done everything and then took out another 3.8 kilos. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I'm almost messaging her on a minute to minute basis. That At one point I thought I killed her. You're like, mom, dad, I think I, I think I killed somebody. <laughs> I got to lay yeah, out. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't safe house. for about an hour and a half because, um, you know, the sauna was just no longer pulling out enough weight. She didn't have the energy to do any more cardio, especially saran wrapped up. So there was one last resort and it was hot bath flashes. And I gave her like the exact protocol is like, you have someone in that room with you. If you feel like you're going to faint and yeah. you will, you have to get up. You have to sit outside of that bath for five to 10 minutes, let your core temperature come back down and you can hop back in. It was like, and if you feel like this is becoming dangerous, you can pull the plug on this. Like there will be another nationals. There will be another world. Your pancreas is already down being a diabetic. We don't have to destroy your kidneys as well like let's not go to renal failure there's another way we can do this another time and i was like and constantly keep me updated and she was doing good with that like every 10 minutes or so being like just hopped out just hopped in and there's like an hour and a half in which i don't hear from her and i'm like, <laughs> like she's, she's fucking dead man so i'm like pacing around nationals waiting for her her weigh-ins in an hour and she just walk, like saunters in just falling sideways like can barely carry her shit and she's usually a pretty cheery person yeah. under adversity she's like also one of my best friends we spent a lot of time traveling together to all of these meets and then afterwards and she just kind of looks up at me like hey justin like just the most feeble shit ever i was like how you feel and she classic saskatoon jets goes oh you know not good <laughs> <laughs> no, not good and um 
We're like, okay, <laughs> you're gonna weigh in in like 15 minutes. She's like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh like, yeah. You forget why you're here? <laughs> she was. Like, here's, a, here's, a, here's a problem. She was talking to the squat rack, and that was that was the first. <laughs> So yeah, and she's about to go weigh in, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I still have all the saran wrap on." And she's oh, like, "Unsaran wrap himself." The, the TC's looking at her like, "What am I looking at? Are you just peeling layers and layers of saran wrap off yourself? Like, What's been going on here?" And uh, she walks in and she weighs in, and me and her buddy Jarek, who was helping out um, another he owns Rise Gym out in uh, Saskatoon. Um, we're just kind of standing there like, please don't make her have to weigh in again. Like if she misses, for God's sake, and I kind of had it in my mind, I was like, if she's point three over, we're just going to pull the plug on this. Like we're, we're not doing it. You know, if she has to lose another 300 grams, we're not doing it. And then all of a sudden I hear them start asking for her rack heights. And I was like, oh, she made it right. Like, she made it, like, they wouldn't, like they wouldn't ask for her rack heights if she ended like, let's fucking go. And she yeah. comes out and she was like, three grams under or something like that. Oh, she was like whoa. 71.94 or whatever what? it was. So yeah, 60 grams under. And then, yeah. And that was a fast meet too, man. And, you know, after being so carb depleted, we I think she put in about 300 grams of carbs. That's pretty standard for her right after one of these cuts to just try and replete. She's also diabetic. Yeah. So 300 grams of carbs She's managing that on the fly with with insulin, and you know she's going through these stages of being up and then just like catatonic, and then you know trying to get her going and warmed up, and it's just yeah, you, I don't want to call it micromanagement because she's so independent, she can do it all herself, but she knows that I really understand everything that's going on physically with her, and just. Even if she's fine and can do it, me asking her, like, Jess, check your sugars. Where are we at? Mm. That just puts so much confidence and ease that, like, okay, not only is this person overseeing my lifting in a way that's been dramatically successful for four years, like, in any situation, he just – he's aware of what could go wrong, and he's making sure it doesn't happen. So the second it comes to actually lift and compete – I mean, she challenges me on shit. She's a type and she wants to just push, push, push. But when I'm like, this is what we're doing. She's, she just always just does it. And that's an athlete. So yeah, you're 100% right. Like you, you, when you're in there, you might know what you need to do. Like you said, and she's, especially with the diabetes, with the weight cutting, she's done enough times, but there is some ease when you're surrounded with people and you're confident that because you especially when you're crazy dehydrated i've done some cuts nothing like that but i've done cuts and when you're dehydrated you're like in a fog you got like a foggy brain and when you know you're surrounded i've been i've traveled with people and just had like friends show up because that's all that could show up and you're trying to steer the boat while in this depleted anxiety state when you're about to end you know what you have to do and you're going to get it done but it's different. The cortisol levels are a little higher when you're when you're steering and you're like, fuck me. Whereas even if somebody's in the passenger seat, you're still steering, but they're navigating for you. And they're just checking up on you. And they're they're reading the map with you. That's a whole different thing. It's you're so much more at ease. And you know, like, just a little reminder, where's our blood sugars at? That's good. That's good. Here's another thing that's probably funny. How fucking much have you learned about diabetes? Working with Jess for four years, you're probably 
Like, oh, yeah. I, I have a number of other type one diabetic clients now. Um, I so I, 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 I understand. I know all the different types of insulin, like, you know, just the, the, how fast they, they work their half-lives, like how many units you should usually inject when sugars <laughs> are X above six. And like, you know, I've even, I had another type one diabetic client at nationals and she was showing me where her sugars were. And then I'd be like, how much insulin have you injected? She'd be like, oh, like four units. I was like, I think you need another six. Like it's not getting in right now. And like, I know these things <laughs> yeah. now because, and, I mean, Jess is also a pharmacist and she's really intelligent and the nutrition side of things and the, the deep science is what I first kind of fell in love with in this field. So like after Worlds in Sweden, her and I did a little jaunt around Europe and we were just having dinner out in Austria. And I think for like two hours straight, we just talked about like the impact of carbohydrate on the body in a million different ways. And then how the pancreas reacts to that. And like, this is the shit her and I talk about. So I haven't just learned a lot about diabetes from working with her. She's also taught me a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's been, that's been really cool. Obviously like I'm no doctor, um, but surface level stuff, the, the physical and emotional experience that goes along with, big swings in blood sugar and like usually I can tell if a lifter of mine that has diabetes if I see just a, a slight change in performance during a workout or like while we're warming up at, in a meet I can usually tell how their sugars are moving based on how they're acting mm. and when they're just in full competition mode seeing these kinds of things that could be like are your sugars sitting a little high right now because you're starting to slog down a little bit and you're like kind of getting red and a little a little more antsy or whatever it is. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a really cool learning experience. What do you, what do you find more a thriller when it comes to, because I've, I've had handlers on, I've had obviously coaches programming and you've done both at the world level. Like you have done programming and brought people to the world championships and won programming, but you've also coached at the world championships. So you've actually done both. And that's somewhat it's more unique than people probably think, you know? Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think are, because the skill set isn't always the same. It can be the same person can do both, but it isn't always the same doing fat, like the research, the scouting, the hours that might come into it. And then the knowing all the rules is massive. And then making decisions within 60 seconds is a whole lot different than when you're programming, crunching data and taking feedback. And you're looking at it all night, like, me what do i want to do here that's a different skill set and then obviously the gratification of bringing someone over four years programming to become a world champion like a jessica bittner situation or day of when you're a national team coach it's just you and that person for a day and it's like a it's like a fucking game it's like i got my soldiers everyone's got their soldiers let's see where we end up and you're like taking wins and, and doing whatnot yeah um yeah, man, it's just, to me, it's just part of the, the experience. Even, like, I don't see them as totally separate things. Like, my entity as a Team Canada coach is different when I'm working with lifters that I don't program for. But in the past four years, five years, not four, I've had 15 of my own lifters that I program for go to Worlds, mm. right? So that's just, like, you don't – I didn't start coaching to just – do really well at local meets. I started coaching because I wanted to take people who 
were either elite or starting out and just get them as far as they can possibly go. And I wanted to be there every step of the way. To me, that's what coaching is. Um, so it, it's when you know your lifters so well, you've seen all of their training footage, you know how certain warmups should look based on working with them for so long. You just pick up so fast on where they're actually at on the day. Like there's no, there's no real gray, which is nice. Like you just, you're, you're working, they're lifting and you just communicate so clearly. And you just, you, you already have this like visual language constructed around how they lift. Like you, you know, when things are good, how, how their body is, is moving, how their ankles might react, whatever, like all these little intricacies just from watching so much that when there's any deviation from what you would usually associate with excellent lifting for that person, you can pick up on it right away. Um, and then you can start adapting things. Maybe you stick in an extra warm up, whatever it is, you start cueing them on little things that you know benefit them. Um, so that with, with your own lifter, that's a really effective experience. When it's someone brand new, there's a lot more like, how did that feel for you? Like, is that mm-hmm. feeling solid? Like, you you know, you always pump them up. You're like, man, that was a great squat, even if it wasn't. You're like, how'd that feel for you? And then you tend to get the truth when you pump them up and then ask them what they're going through. Like, ah, oh, that felt a little heavy. Whereas, like, if you come right at them, you're like, that looked a little heavy, buddy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you never go that route. Um, but I think, like, it's a really, really rare thing that someone comes to an international meet that I don't work with on the programming side, like just my role as a staff coach that I don't take their entire game plan and just kind of dismantle it. Um, and that's something that Abby talks about constantly. And it's something I believe thoroughly, like the second the meet starts, there is no past. There is no basis for expectation anymore. I know you have these attempts that you want. We have an opener. That's all. That's the only thing that is set right now. And that's also going to change. I always change people's openers. I'm always bringing them down and taking bigger jumps from second. You can really tell about someone's personality based on the game plan they bring you. Like if someone benches 160 and they want to go like 152.5, 157.5, 160 on their attempts, you're like, hmm, I think you really chase that ego pump on the first and that could be detrimental. So let, let's let's take it down. You're still going to end up where you want to end up. But just trust me on this. If we go like 140, 151, 60, we've got a better chance, whatever it is. Um, and it's really integral that you build that trust with that person during the warm-up process. You know, some people like when I'm really intense with them. Some people like when I'm just light and jokey. It's always critical that you carry yourself like a physical confidence. Yeah. You know, don't look antsy. Don't look nervous. Even if you can see shit going really wrong right in front of you, you have to just have this aura of confidence. And then when it comes time to start making all these attempt changes, like with openers, changing game plans, you don't necessarily tell them, but you just you constantly reassure them, like, we're going to make sure you have a good day. Just trust me. And they already do, and then it's it's perfect. Like I think with you, most of your all your attempts were different than what you presented to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're gonna get you where you want to go. Just let me help you choose the the best path we possibly can to get you there. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's we you came in with these expectations of how you were gonna get to exactly this idea of where you wanted to go. Blank slate. We just gotta watch what you're doing and 
make reasonable decisions and I'll probably find a way to help you get the most out of yourself. So that's never, a totally different experience. It never ends up the way, like it, it's never going to be a perfect day and it's never going to be exactly as you pictured it. The, the, this shit doesn't happen. Like there is, um, do when possible. Cause sometimes I think with our situation it's a little different cause you didn't even know you're going to be coaching me until like that day. I remember too, you were like, I was like, how you doing Justin? And you're like, my man, I slept like three hours. I'm fucking like, he's like, it's I a infection. You were, you were like, I'm held together by a shoestring, my friend. We're going to try to make this happen. But, um, so even on the coaching end, yeah, you're like, all right, I don't have all the scouting I would have liked. Thank you very much. But it is probably easier at least going in knowing, like, for instance, if you know what people's top end is, you know, it's realistic and you're like, all right, if I, you've seen them in training, you're like, if things look like that in warmups, we can expect certain things. But if not, you're like, man, I don't know. Like, do you need to know previously what they've done to have a barometer potential so you know what's what's low, what's high, what's reasonable? Because sometimes it's funny how sometimes, like, I've seen this just, like, reposting a shitload on the King of Lists and even commentating where some people's grinders, you think, like, oh, shit, they're near the end. And they're not. They just... They're just yeah, fucking grinders. Keep on going. And it's difficult you, when, when you haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, but you 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 learn someone's speed during the warm up process. Right. Like you really get a feel for the DNA of their lifting, and it's it's usually and this is something that the first worlds I ever coached at when I was still just interning. Mark Morris and Abby Silverberg were always kind of like, "What do you think their top end is?" Like, you know, I would watch someone's plan second last warm up and they're already trying to get me to guess what their limit might be on the day. Mm. Um, and, and I've gotten really accurate with that. And that's how I, I have people steal medals really often is learn the visual DNA of that person's lifting and of the people they're going up against and start plotting out what you expect everybody who's chasing Ryan or Jess or Brett, whatever at these meets, what their top end on the day might be. And then you start getting this framework for weights that you need to hit to kind of push them to what I like even consider like a kill weight. Like if we take this weight, they're going to try and go to this. And this is what I think is in excess of their potential on the day. Um, and you know, I'm, right a lot more than I am wrong now because I have so much experience with it but like the scouting I've never really done much advanced scouting it's because the past doesn't matter sorry buddy no worries um just gotta um I don't do much advanced scouting. Like, I'll obviously know who we're going up against. Um, sometimes it's a rarity. I'll go through and watch their lifting on Instagram. I'll always look up people's meet results, um, like best lifts. If it's someone like, you know, Kim Walford, for example, when we were going up against her and Isabella, I could have told you their, like, what they benched at their previous seven meets. Mm, but again, I, I, that doesn't assume, really yeah. matter. It doesn't really matter. You just have to show up and deal with what's right in front of you. Like I would have just take a warm up, and then I would talk to her a little bit. And then I'm just scanning around the warm up room, watching Isabella, the Russian lifter, Anna, just 
all of their lifting. I'm just taking in how it all looks really fast and just kind of composing this framework for their speed, how they're lifting. Am I seeing things change? Like I'm watching everybody's warm up around. That's the scouting. That's the game planning is in the moment, understanding what your lifter can do and creating an analysis of what you think the other lifters are capable of. And then you got to start playing the whole numbers game, like all the trickery and, and all this, but no, no strategy has any value outside of application. It has to be applied and created in the moment that you're going to apply it to like, you know, coming in with an elaborate game plan and trying to game theory, everything to me is wasted energy. There, there's, there's value in preparedness, but I think there's a lot more value in preparedness plus a complete ability to adapt and formulate a real game plan based on visual evidence right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, it might actually And work. then just trust your gut. Sometimes it might even work against you. If you get, if you got this elaborate game plan set out, in, in your head you've, you've already fought this battle so many times, and that shit very rarely rolls out like that, but you're stuck on your game plan because you've already played it through in your head and you're not open to checking it out. You, you, you become almost emotionally attached to certain game plans and certain how I visualize it so many times. Yeah, I've always been able to avoid that to just really deal with what's right in front of me. One thing that I used to fall victim to a little bit more was putting other lifters' capabilities in boxes based on what they had achieved previously. Like coming in, it's like, okay, Isabella has squatted this. She's going to squat between this and this this day, which means we need to achieve this on subtotal. So like you're already creating this narrative of what the other lifter's going to accomplish, mm. what their best is going to be, what the worst case is going to be. And now it's just like this minor piece of the puzzle. You still have to go in and deal with what's happening right in front of you and just scrap your preconceived notions. Because sometimes people have horrible days and then sometimes people will hit world records out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be like, well, you know what? I thought she was going to hit 2025 today, but fuck me. She's going for 208. And yeah. if you were stuck on your between, like our subtotal needs to end up here based on this and you get in your own way. So now it's just really show up, be hyper aware of everything around you, watch the board intently. Um, that's like one of my strongest suits. It just comes really easy to me at this point. I've, I've coached, I don't know, fucking 600, 700 lifters at between nationals and world events alone, um, or done that many sessions. So now it's like my brain just tells me the number. I see something happen and my brain's like, if we go this, they have to go this, which is probably outside of their capability. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. There's a number. It's 243. Um, and then I like, I have to cross-reference it. I'll be like, okay, good work, brain. Proud of you for figuring that out. Now I'm actually going to like make sure that's correct because I have 28 seconds to go put this in. Um, and yeah, you just, uh, when you're doing that with your own lifters, it's a fun thing. I, I kind of got a little off topic, I guess. <laughs> no, man, this is how we talk. What do you think, though, is, because like I think there's more. it's more thrilling probably than to handle because when you're coaching it's more the background work, right? It's, it's that honest work when you're programming and whatnot, you're crunching numbers and you're seeing, you're seeing like potential. 
basically in the gym. Mm-hmm. But the game day coaching is like when the anxiety's on, you're like, holy shit, 60 seconds, let's rock and roll, and things are rolling out. Like, what do you think is more gratifying for you? I mean, the powerlifting is about competing and powerlifting. That's true. The coach coaching is the the at meets is the thrill, man. That is just fun. Like it, you see the coaching volume I do. Like at, at a nationals, I'll be there every session from Tuesday through Saturday. I'm beat to hell. Like by the time I I was coaching the M ones in Sweden, that was day four. I had four sessions that that day. I think like. 18 lifters and I pretty much had to do it almost entirely alone. Yeah. I had a lung, I had a lung infection was coughing blood and, (laughs) and I still fucking love it. Like it's just, just so you you never have to apply everything you've got in, in this field more than you do coaching at a high stakes meet. And lucky for me, I can feel however I feel. I can still get people jacked up and my brain still makes the right decisions. Like I never lose the ability to get the job done extremely well, no matter how run down I am. So that's the real fun part. Whereas when you're writing the programs, people have great sessions and they're stoked about that and that's fun and it's gratifying, but it's not this six hour long adrenaline rush. It's not like, you know, we're going to war right now and we're going to get you the best result possible. And that feeling of like, you know, before a third deadlift, when you still have some changes left and you're making sure it's the proper number, you think you've pushed someone as far as they can go, like on like one of the competitors and you're about to put that change in and then you're walking out to go say, I'm having a goddamn heart attack. <laughs> like as you're like, I'm getting you stoked. I'm like, all right, man, let's go do this. Like ready, focus on like, make it whatever. Um, and then you walk out there and I'm like, all right, this heart rate's got to go down because I am, I'm like, like the second the lifter walks away from me is when I get hit by it all. I'm like, okay, don't, don't pass out. Like you gotta be able to celebrate with them when they hit it or say something useful if they don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's just a thrill from start to finish. Like no wonder you can't sleep. You, you're in that adrenaline environment from 7am till 9pm. Hey, you have a couple beers after with some of the guys, of course, and then you're still sitting there revved up. It's midnight now. You're like, oh, now I got to start thinking about the next thing. Like, that's the most fun, for sure. Like, writing programming and stuff doesn't even compare to that thrill. The writing of the programming is more about the building of the relationship, the ongoing trajectory of success. Um, and, make, like, when you, you create a structure that really – appeals to the personality of someone and they're just loving lifting and giving you killer feedback and they're just bought in that's thrilling like in a different way that's just more so like awesome like i know this person's going to get better and have that sick meat experience because they're having an awesome time training right now and things are going well so the, the real gratification you get from the programming side it still feeds back into the competition side mm-hmm I know what you mean when you right. when you're saying like, because I remember seeing you in the morning um, at Worlds in Sweden, and there had been times when like commentating, for instance, where it's like a 16 hour day live on the air. So when you're on, when you're like it's one thing to talk right now, but when it's live on the air and it's like the Olympic Channel, 
And um, so everything, you can't have a flood, man. You better, you, you can't have a flood. It could be a fucking international incident. And um, it's on air live. So every single thing you say, but 16 hours, and you're exhausted by the end. You go back to your hotel room and you're like, holy shit, I'm so like emotionally invested and spent. And you, you have to have a couple beers just to wind it down. And you have beers with the people there because nobody knows like the people you're with. Nobody knows like the other people for your sake, uh, the, the Team Canada coaches, but in my situation, the media team, we have a couple beers. We're like, holy shit, man, that was a grinder. But then you start thinking, tomorrow morning's coming soon. Tomorrow morning's coming yeah, like, quick. And what do we have tomorrow? It's you, like when you sleep, you dream about it. And when you, if you can sleep, and then when you wake up in the morning, it's, let's go. And then when you get there, I know exactly what you mean when you said, like, no matter how shitty I feel in breakfast, and I'm rocking the coffees, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just barely hanging together. Once I throw on the headset, and they're like, and five, four, three, and then they don't say two, one, it's, boom, we're fucking back, baby. We're back, yeah, baby. It just, it just clicked. You don't even really sleep. It's like you just close your eyes and open them four hours later, and then you're like, all right, back to it. It's, 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 I swear to God, people are like, how'd you sleep? And I'm like, I am not sure I slept. I know I closed my yeah, eyes. I was laying down, and I closed my eyes, but there were times where I was like, fuck, man, I'm not sleeping. And then there are other times where later on in the night, you're like, was I sleeping? I, I kind of was, but I kind of wasn't. I'm not sure. No, I just, I just, I just fall unconscious. Like, <laughs> like I'll, I'll literally lay down, and within five to ten seconds of laying down, when I decide it's time to sleep, yeah. you almost have to wait for like extreme exhaustion and capitalize on that. So you, you just, you're gone. It's like, yeah, you literally close your eyes, open them, look at the clock. It's six a.m. now. You're like, okay. <laughs> I, I definitely think I slept because I was I was having heart palpitations when I went to sleep and I'm not now. So I, I think that my heart's at least recovered a little bit so I can start pounding monster and do this again. Right. Dude, I, I remember showing up and, and some of the guys on the team were like, um, man, you, you're having a hard time sleeping, but you're rocking these coffees. I'm like, you got, man, by the time the night comes, like I need, when morning hits early, you need something. Like it's like, I'm just... Uh, getting by on caffeine and adrenaline and I remember when I saw you in the morning in Sweden and you were like I'm like how you feeling man and you were like fuck <laughs> I don't even think you gave it a story but I could tell and then once we started when the game was on it's the same thing when I heard the five four three and then they give you the fingers two one and it's late and then you're live on the air it was the same shit when we started warming up and the battle was start was was about to begin it, be, it went from you're tired as fuck and like my man is struggling to you are running around and like it's it. It's over. It's on. It doesn't matter how you feel. You're going to get through. I had four of you in that session too. That's like insane. I was like fully in it and running the numbers with four and three out of the four won medals. Like yeah. That was oh, that was a killer session. After that one, I remember feeling like pretty proud of myself. Like three people is a lot to coach, but it's still manageable. My brain can categorize the performance of each of them. And I, like I, by the time we're actually squatting and benching on platform, like I know what I've got it down Four, it's a little more chaos, especially when it's four and two platforms in two different flights. Like I was just, bing, 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 bing. Yeah, I was there every attempt. I put in every single card. Thank God. Some of the M2 boys stuck around though. That's yeah. the one thing I love about the masters like, you need a hand, like, Ron Strong, Sandro, they just came and they just pitched yeah. in, loading plates. They were like, 
you know, Ron being right. Oh, just you just go run the numbers, do your thing. Us old boys, we'll load the plates. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Thanks, Roddy. Like, no, I love right. those guys. Yeah, it helps. But yeah, it's it's. But yeah, like you said, it's you know, between sessions, you have like your hour to sit on the floor and maybe eat a green apple, and then when it's time to go, it's boom in it. Like you feel how you feel. Like, people ask me how I'm doing. I'm honest. Like, oh, I'm probably on the brink of death, but <laughs> we're gonna go win a gold medal. <laughs> so yeah. don't worry about how I'm feeling. Just worry about how I'm acting and what you're going to accomplish. And it yeah. always, always turns up. And then the week after is when you really get hit by all of it. I'm sure you feel that when you do those long, long days, the adrenaline, the physical toll. I once tried to add up how many kilos I loaded onto bars in a week at a big international meet. And I'm like, Jesus, my forearms should be way bigger than Popeye's <laughs> by now. I don't even have spinach. Like the amount yeah. of weights I'm with. And then you, <laughs> once that week's done, you sleep like 13 hours a night for four days and your body's still like insufficient. You need more. <laughs> like, insufficient. Fog. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, you're, we're still at battery level 35% here, boy. Go the fuck to sleep. <laughs> what, what was it like leading into, because in Sweden, the 72s was probably the most hyped of any of them. It was Kimberly Walford's return. Um, it, like the, the, it was stacked from one to six. I mean, it was, that yeah, was. I think a, there was, what was it? A, a 15 kilo spread between first and fifth place. Fucking or think first. about that. Yeah. That's insane. And then first to third was separated by seven kilos. It was, I think, like statistically the most competitive session ever. Mm-hmm. Just the, the top eight were all genuinely competing with each other. There was no like two guys fighting at the top and then a bunch of people 50 kilos back on total. Like, right. Almost everybody was 500 plus on total. It was incredible. So yeah, what was your question? Uh, uh, Well, leading into that, you know, even the night before, we'll walk into the actual day of in a second. But when you're when you know that is your next day, I'm obviously you look at Jess. I fucking God knows what Jessica's thinking. But sometimes the lifter, you can somewhat turn off your brain like fuck it. I'm just gonna lift what's on the bar. But you can't turn your brain off. Because you're the one who's doing all the calculations the day of. Be like, holy shit, I got to do with quick math. So the night before, how nervous are you? And are you like, here's, it's funny because like if you, it just takes one wrong attempt, one fuck up. And I've had coaches on here who are like, like for instance, um, Angus Blair was like, we might have cost Brett Gibbs a world title with one bad attempt. He said straight up, he's like, I put in one bad attempt and I fucking cost Brett a world championship. That's that's the stakes, which makes it exciting, which is why it's so awesome doing it. Because you're like, holy shit, this is a make or break position I'm in. That's why people love playing these fantasy league football games and shit like that. Because yeah, yeah. you know it's fun. However, when you're in it, those stakes. Yeah, and when that war is coming, and you know damn well the '72s, everybody and their mother were watching. We hyped the shit out of it. The night before, are you like, whoo? It's, it's how are you sleeping? Oh, it was actually Angus Blair and I, and uh, like Jess and I were sharing a hotel, and <laughs> poor girls competing the next day. And there's Angus and I drinking scotch, looking over like the past 10 meets for every single 72 there, and just chatting strategy. And he's he's really into the games and the numbers and whatnot. Yeah. And I'm just like, I think about those kinds of things, but I always fall back on. I know what my lifters can accomplish. 
I know what their potential is and I know what their potential bottom is. And I trust myself enough to maximize that in a way that is going to get the job done as, as best as possible. So like, I'm not stressed. I go in well-informed, but it's always this, like, I know what she can do. I know what he can do, whatever it is. I just need to exploit that to the detriment of the competition. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, one of my, so I have a huge respect for the Swedish coach, Carol. She's just a gamer, man. She's one of the best. Um, and, uh, every week, all week long, she knew I was coaching against her all week long with the juniors, the masters, everything. Um, she would like change people's openers dramatically all the time. Like every opener was fake. And then Isabella's opener was like pretty high. I think it was like one ninety two five on squat. And I remember they didn't change the opener. I go up to Kara. I was like, all week long, you've changed every opener. Like, you, you've tricked everyone all week long. And she looks at me and she goes, and that was the trick. <laughs> so I was going to trick you all week long until the most. And she looks and she's like, that was the strategy. I was fucked with you all week long until the biggest, most hyped session when I just played a straight game. Hit, hit him hit him with somebody left there begging for a right type deal, right? <laughs> Where you're like, yeah, yeah. what the hell? When when Jess went out there and pulled for that, that so she went into gold for a moment. And it was really like, dude, playing against Kim and Isabella at the exact same time was tough friggin' work, dude. Like, you know, they were, again, within seven kilos, you have to position yourself perfectly. Like when I picked that third attempt that, you know, for the first time ever, Kimberly Walford hadn't won a meet after her second deadlift. It was the first time that's ever happened. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and then we went into the gold position, and we actually had to, like, Kim's never had to pull a third for goals, to my knowledge. Um, and we've, we've cleared, we're now firmly ahead of Isabella, and, like, with some trickery there as well. And we got it done. Carol, the Swedish coach, actually just comes over and straight shakes my hand and goes, you beat me today. Like that, that was a pretty cool moment. What, like what, her just, you know, what is some of the trickery? Cause obviously we talked about it before where, um, like there's some strategy involved when you have lot number advantage or body weight advantage, or if someone has chips, someone doesn't have chips, you know, you want to be lifting after, you know, if, if possible, your, your competition. Um, and then obviously changing openers, changing your final deadlift and stuff. There's, there's things you could do to get, to see people either coming or if you're the one following someone else trying to chase them down, you're trying to push them to a point where they're going to miss their third dead. And then there's obviously the stats of if you miss your third squat, you're far more, you're more likely to miss your third dead than you are to hit it. Um, so there's different things that people do. And you've probably seen it all if you, cause you've done so many national and world championships at the world's there. What, what was some of the things that you would see in your time? And, um, yeah, in oh, like, and, um, they would have like the Russians and the, the Swedes, they would have fake openers posted that were just realistic enough that you bought it. Yeah. And then they would load ugly bars in the back. Like they would hide two and a half some fives in between plates. And then all of a sudden last second, their opener goes up 15 kilos and you're like, 
changes a lot. Yeah. Um, and or like, you know, things such as taking um, their opening deadlift, missing a second on purpose to fake it, and then taking a an enormous jump that looks just false in comparison to what we've seen. Like they hit their opener, they missed their second and they're going to go up 20 kilos. I don't believe that that's possible. So you start choosing your kill weight a little bit lower based on that. And then they come out and just spank their third deadlift. <laughs> and you look over and she's like, he was faking it. Or just not, not, not taking a second deadlift at all. They, the Swedish team did that once took the opener didn't take a second and then took like an 85 kilo jump on their third Holy to, shit. to win. So you and, can't and so, hit it. So then when you're, you're trying to gauge off second, how much that lifter has in the tank, you got no gauge. They didn't even take a second. Right. So you're like, well, now I'm flying blind. I'm not sure. And they just know they're a big deadlifter. They got, and they're going to pull last. So they just sit and wait and watch everything. And you're watching that 85 kilo jump on the board. Like, when are they going to change that? When are they going to pull it down? That's just outrageous. They, they like, what the fuck is going on? How are they going to go from 260 to 330? And then they come out and hit it. <laughs> and like, and they, they win. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And like going into worlds, um, every single one of Jess's openers that we posted was a fake. And they were supposed to move in diverging directions to kind of create this sense that the weight cut was harder on her than it actually was. So we brought down her squat opener five kilos right before. We brought down her bench opener right before. So now we're seeing the other coaches that are going against us are seeing this trend of underperformance potential, yeah. right? Like, okay, they keep dropping their openers. They keep dropping their openers. Her deadlift was set at something pretty reasonable, and that was the one that we planned to jack up. So now they've bought in. You know, we've gone – We've well, she went five for six through squat and bench, hit a hit a PB, but below what she had done in the gym by a little bit. Um, so we have a good subtotal, but it's they've seen the subtotal was supposed to be here, and now it's ended up here. So like, okay, maybe she's not going to have a great deadlift day, and then we go up twelve and a half kilos, hmm. and all of a sudden we go for, from fifth to second on opener, and now it's like okay, people who weren't gaming against her, they now have to, they have someone brand new to pay attention to. And that can just throw off their focus. And that, that's a common thing that I'll do is sit on the sidelines until your threat has been conceptually minimized and then jump right into the fray and give all, all these coaches someone else coming for them that they really have to intently pay attention to. Because running the numbers of your own lifter, and if you have someone else in that session as well, plus three or four people that are chasing, gets overwhelming. When you're just going against one person, two people, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's simple. There's, there's a lot of complexity to it, but it's, it's a more singular task, and it's become simple to me. Um, but the second you have to, to game against four people simultaneously – and there's all of these diverging potential outcomes and you're just weighing them all, that gets pretty overwhelming. And I still end up doing really well with that. 
but it is overwhelming. And I try and jam other coaches into that position of just chaos of another person coming for them right at the last second. And sometimes too, I've noticed when I do a commentating, you get help from people coming up. Like, let's say you're in silver and you're like, I would really like to pull for gold. Sometimes it helps when the person in bronze has to worry about four, five, and six, and now they have to make a decision, please, four, five, and six, press them so they have to defend their bronze and make that decision to defend bronze or gold yeah. or silver. If they, if there is no, you actually get help from other nations sometimes where you're like, I could really fucking use you guys to step up right now. But if they don't yeah. threaten the bronze, you're like, God damn it, they're going to pull from, they're oh, going, yeah. they're coming. Sometimes they'll put in like a 10 kilo jump and you're counting on them threatening the bronze or whatever it is. And you're like, help me out here like put some pressure on yeah you're like believe in yourself like, believe in yourself give, yeah like, don't give up like just put the metal <laughs> on the bottom take the shot who cares yeah. if you go from fourth to fifth go for it like, come yeah. on oh that happens frequently enough <laughs> yeah it's like shoot your shot man this is the world championships you're almost coaching them you're you're giving them a pep talk what are you doing right now what are you doing it's the world one yeah. day of the year let's go but yeah. um, and I, it's like if you can deadlift 230, you can deadlift 230, 25. Right. It's right. like, you know, you're, if you're going to miss either of them, you're going to miss both of them. Yeah. So come on, just a little bit, a little bit heavier here. Come, come on, on help on me out. Your yeah. Yeah. That um, one. Fall, fall on your sword for us. Come that's on. Right. That's right. Uh, be, be a good, be a good fin. Fall <laughs> on sword. Um, the question we always get whenever it comes to Jessica Bittner um, and I had Amanda Lawrence on recently. She's like, shit, man, is, is Jessica going to come into 84s? And obviously the weight cut for Jessica has been, it's legendary at this point. I had Jessica on and Jessica was saying essentially, I don't want to leave 72s without winning a title. Like that's not obviously a given, but she did hit 565 for God's sake. That's, was that 20 kilo over or more over the, the current world record? Now, obviously, there's travel, there's weight cutting while travel, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, I get it, but... I mean, she, she had to drive 10 hours to get to the meet, right? There we so. go. There we go. Thank you, sir. Because when I was saying it, and I had the yeah, American was, coaches on, they were like, oh, fuck, here we go. It was uh, 20 kilos over the world record total. As for 84, I remember after that cut, she hadn't even started warming up yet. She made weight by 40 grams or whatever it was, and I was like... We're doing this once, maybe twice more, and then I'm cutting you off. Like, and like, she doesn't have to do nationals as a 72 to go to worlds as a 72, right? But she just has these goals, and the weight cut helps her performance cognitively. Like, when we did Commonwealths, she was an 84. She weighed like 77. Yeah. She had a good meet, but she didn't take the prep seriously. She wasn't pushing herself and bought in as much because she didn't have to be so meticulous about her nutrition and her recovery and all of that. But she was just like, fuck, I'm heavier. I'm, I'm five kilos heavier than regular. This is great. Like I just get to show up and lift. And like, you know, she came out and had some like drinks with Brett and I, like before she even competed and she's just real chill about it. When she knows she's cutting, it's just like this, she's just the Terminator. It just switches. Like all she's doing is killing John Connor. Like that's, that's it. You know, there's nothing else. 
Um, so I, I don't know how much she would get out of becoming an 84 because she way outperformed, but she hit at Commonwealth's just four months later at nationals, mm-hmm. like almost six full kilos lighter. And she hit a way bigger total. It, so it's like, I know. And that's, that's it, where it doesn't always moving up a weight class in cutting for some people. It, it's a huge detriment to the performance when they do a big cut. For other people, it doesn't. It, it hardly moves the needle. And looking at Jessica, man, 565, numbers don't lie. She had a, a brutal weight cut, and she had the greatest 72-kilo performance we've ever seen in the history of yeah. any Fed under the IPF banner. So when it comes to, you know, cutting or not cutting, and then if you weigh that in and be like, okay, well, if she goes 84, yeah, but what if the numbers don't shoot up? And it's not because she would have to be well into the 600s to be, you know, at the top of the food chain for 84. But it doesn't, for some people, when they get bigger, they get stronger. But for some people, when they get bigger, the, the gains are minimal. It's, it's kind of like the, you know, the laws of the diminishing gains, the bigger you get. It's different for every yeah. lifter. So for Jessica, it might be one of those situations where it's like, look, and, and not to, on top of that, man, 12 kilo, that's a fucking huge jump for a body weight putting 12 kilo yeah. on jessica where the shit are you gonna do that yeah i don't know she well, i mean she trains it between 78 and 80 right. um so it would only be you know maybe another four to five kilos and the, the thing is like she likes feeling and looking good and right. yeah. you know she's not she she wouldn't just slap the body weight on for the sake of it. She's also intelligent enough to know that like four kilos of fat mass isn't going to do shit for your strength mm-hmm. when you're already training. Like when she's 78, 80 kilos, like she's she's not hurting for calorie intake. I'll tell you that. Um, she stays pretty lean, but she's I, I beyond that point, she's just really well supported nutritionally, anyways. And she's so muscular as is like. Additional hypertrophy beyond this point for her is a slow grind. Yeah. Like if she was to genuinely fill out 84, I think to put on the muscle mass to even have her walking around at her current body fat percentage when she's 78, 79, same body fat percentage at 82, 83 kilos, I think that would take her about five years. And, and that's a small 84. Like 84 is cut. To 80, she, if she's 82, she's giving up size even then. Like, she'll be the smaller person in that fight. You always want to be the bigger person in a fight. Even And, and look, yeah. at when we're talking cutting, nobody can cut like Jessica and, and have an amazing performance. So ideal scenario for her would be like to be like, oh, fuck, this would be crazy. But to be like 87, 88, cut to 84. But that's... It's just insane to wrap my head around. Like the girls she'll be I facing are doing that. The girls she's the girls she'll be scrapping it out with are 87, 88, 89 kilo tight. You know what I mean? Like they're getting they're getting big. They're much bigger than she is anyway. So you gotta be you have to be so much better than them to beat them when you're that much smaller. Yeah, yeah, and she's just built differently. Like Amanda Lawrence is just a squatting machine. Like. Right. She's just her her leverages. She's just this beautiful archetype for squatting. Same with Daniela. Um, Jess is probably three inches taller than both of them. I don't I don't know their exact height. I think 
Danny's about five, 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 six. Maybe Amanda's more like five, six as well. Jess is Jess is like five, eight plus, mm-hmm. um, and she's she's quite a slender build as well. So it's just like the body weight. I just don't see it having this huge benefit beyond her current training weight. Yeah, and that's so. Uh, so she's kind of stuck in this weird position, isn't she? Like, I think yeah. we can, I think everyone would agree. Her hitting 565, she's got to bring that performance to Worlds and, and see if she can't lock in an open world title. If even thinking about moving up, that's got to happen first. Like, there, you can, like it, that's, it would be, that's kind it'd of, be the big what if for the rest of her life if she didn't, right? That, and that's what we've kind of agreed upon. It's like, we do another Worlds, we go for the win. If there's Sheffield round two, we do it there. Although, at Sheffield, if you miss weight, doesn't matter right it's it's on ipf points right right but you want you want to win twelve thousand five hundred british pounds yeah <laughs> cut down and give yourself yeah. that that ipf point advantage or they're going to be using the, the new system now um forget what it's what's the new system called it's good lift system it's the guys who make the good lift. Uh, the good lift idea right. yeah right yeah i still think wilkes is the best but, do you, you know, see here's wilkes, a, here was my problem with Wilkes. Fucking heavyweight. You could have a mediocre heavyweight and he would just clobber. I'd seen like mediocre heavyweights clobber like decent 74s, decent 83s. You got to be a phenomenal 874 to beat a mediocre heavyweight. I didn't like how they made heavyweights. Oh, I don't even mean in terms of the coefficient. Like, yeah, we could have cleaned up the coefficient a bit, which is the, the, the system. Like, we all know what 500 Wilkes got means. You. Gotcha, yeah. Like, you know, 500 Wilkes is just this universal what the fuck, you're strong as hell. Yeah. Whereas, like, 900 or 800 IPF points for an 84 is, like, eh, it's pretty good. 800 <laughs> IPF points for a 105 is, like, damn, dude, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Like, 900 for a 74 is, like, Jesus. Like, it's there, there was no real equivalency. Um, and it was really only in the past, like, five to six months that I start to really started to really understand IPF points in terms of relating it to the absolute strength and success of a lifter. Whereas we had 10, 15, 20 years of Wilkes, right? So it's like, Oh, you had a 480 Wilkes, dude, that's amazing. Where someone would be like, Oh yeah, I hit 830 IPF points. And I'd be like, you weigh about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, that was pretty good. You know, yeah. like, Is that good? It, there, was, there good. wasn't that, that tangible relationship yet. And now this new score in the GL, I think it's 100 seems to be roughly equivalent to like 520 Wilkes. I'm not used to it yet. I got no idea, man. It's like you said, it's going to yeah. take time. It's going to take time probably, right? And we gotta... Yeah, I just wish they just cleaned up the coefficient for Wilkes but left the scoring system we're all familiar with. You know, just go in, change the way that we're grading 47s and 52s and 120s and 120 pluses and – even at a little versus tearing apart the whole scale. Like we didn't have to go from gasoline to diesel. You could have just used premium gasoline and made it made more sense. There's also stuff in the background though. Wilkes left, did his own powerlifting fed. Oh yeah, the so, politics of it. Right. So we, we had to take his name off that too, I think. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, in terms of do you I was I shot you a message about this. I want to get your take on it. In terms of um Hafthor Bjornson. 501 yeah. kilo deadlift 
everybody's talking about right now. You've seen the lift, so A, what are your thoughts on the, this quote-unquote controversy where people are basically essentially saying, you know, you're lifting in your home country. It's Iceland, for God's sake. There's 300,000 people there, so it's not... It's, it's almost like your home city, and it might even be his home city. Uh, you know, obviously a friendly environment. So, and it's not a competition, so to speak. There's not other people there. Although, if there was a competition, more than likely, when it came when it comes to deadlift, he's going to be so far ahead. He's essentially competing against himself if his heart was set on this record. But there are things like you're 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 not on your own timeline. You're not working up to your own on your own speed, etc., and going up to deadlift when you're ready to deadlift. On the flip side, the weights were calibrated and weighed. Um, it was official judging, and it was it was a sanctioned meet. <laughs> but it was... <laughs> like the head, everyone sort of... And there was that. And if we... I am also told when it came to Eddie Hall, he got... When he was going for 500 kilo... He the the meet the competition at the, I believe is at the European Championships. They have the World Championship deadlift going on, uh, piggybacking with the European Championship. And if I'm not mistaken, essentially Eddie enlisted for the Europeans. But after the World Championship deadlift was over, he didn't move on to the other events. So he essentially showed up for the World Championship deadlift. And when it came time for his last pull, he took as much time as he wanted. And the meet promoters are like, "Take your time, Eddie. It's a little different for you." So, what are your thoughts? There's no diminishing the astonishing feat of strength that we saw. Um, it is fair to say that is the most a human being has put on a barbell and picked up. That is an absolute truth. That was 501 kilograms. That is the highest quantity of kilograms that have been on a barbell and been stood up with with a human mm-hmm. holding it. Um, to me, it's more of like a Guinness Book of Records kind of thing versus a world record in the world of sport. Um, just because, yeah, like he's he's training at his home gym with his buddies judging, um, and he's wearing a deadlift suit and using straps. So it's hard to look at that, and it's just a it's a different ball game than what the world record deadlift is in the IPF or at like pro raw or genuine squat bench deadlift, three lift competitions. That's a different framework of the level of fatigue that you have approached by the time you're deadlifting. Um, you're not using straps. You're so to me, that's like that the world records we see in federations that have high judging standards and like, you know, you can't hit a world record at a local meet. Um, those are world records in the realm of sport to me. Um, with standards that have to be adhered to from a judging perspective, from an equipment perspective. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a genuine world record. Whereas what Hathor did is just the craziest shit a human being has done, and it's unfucking believable and insanely impressive like that's 501 kilos man mm-hmm. but it's it's hard to hold that as a mirror to what's been accomplished in the other framework of record setting that i've mentioned 
it's, it's like a, a Guinness World Record versus a powerlifting world record. And this is, and that's, I've had this discussion with other people, and it's true. It's does the sport of strongman itself is kind of like that. It's a bit of a TV show, or you know what? Straight up, let's say it is a TV show. It's almost it's more, entertaining. It's, it's insanely impressive. These it, it's crazy impressive. Look at the guy is a fucking freak athlete, once in a lifetime guy. Um, but it is a bit more. It, the events and everything are for entertainment, as opposed to, you know, it, it doesn't look like powerlifting or the Olymp- or any kind of Olympic sport. And when we look at world records in strongman, they do things like deadlift suit straps. You're allowed to hitch. Um, and when it's not as, you know, world records in that setting is more for show. Like I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for us as powerlifters looking at it because it just wouldn't sit right in powerlifting for sure. You, you just couldn't do something like that in powerlifting and expect us to take it for real. Not like federations. I have a really hard problem when I look at feds. People show up at a fucking local meet when their friend's running a local meet in their local gym and you break a quote unquote world record and there's nobody there pushing. Um, it's local, you know, it's literally local refs. And they want to hop up there and shake your hand right after you put the last deadlift down and they're proud just to have been there. No, you were an official and you had a job to do. That this isn't, you're not fanboying out at this moment. This should not, that should never happen. Like I'm with you in terms of when it's sport, I think it should follow the Olympics angle in terms of when it's powerlifting. World records only happen in international competitions with international judging and and et cetera. And I'm hot, like that's, I'm staunch on that. But I feel when it comes to strongman, it almost is, it is that weird in-between sport, isn't it? It's still sport because they compete against oh, each it's, other. it's absolutely a sport, but the rules are, are more so just be a strong man yeah. or a strong woman. It's, yeah. it's just, it, 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 there's no meticulousness over the way in which you get it done. The acts of strength are so superhumanly impressive mm-hmm. that if you can get it done by any means, it's legitimate in that sport. Right. And I I love the sport of strongman. I think it's incredible. But like comparing an axle deadlift that is the equivalent of a block pull and saying like, oh, I can deadlift a uh, you know fucking eleven hundred pounds if it was an elevated axle and you use straps or, you know, if it was you and I and you're a strongman and you're like, yeah, I can, I can do 300 kilos on this axle. Like, so my best deadlift's 300. And I'm like, Oh dude, mine's only 285. You're like, Oh, I deadlift more than you. Like, well, mine was on calibrated plates in a competition. I cut weight. I squat and I benched first. It's, it's not apples to apples. 100%. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, I th- but there's no no diminishing the astonishing strength and like he legitimately deadlifted 501 kilograms. There is that cannot be denied. He did that, and it's fucking mind blowing. But as a strongman record, absolutely back it. As just notation on the heaviest weight ever lifted, it's it's the truth. Mm-hmm. But calling it a powerlifting world record. That gets a little more challenging. I don't think anyone's doing that. Now, that I would agree, but I don't think that's the framework in terms of... 
I don't think people looking at that. No, me, me either. Yeah, I think in terms that, of strong that's man, I think in terms of strong man, my take on it is honestly, as far as strong man goes, because strong man as a sport is is not run like powerlifting, like we're talking, it, like I said, Eddie Hall situation, and I got nothing against it because the sport itself is a great deal of show. There's a little bit of WWE involved with it, and I fucking I'm a boy. Right? If you want, because yeah, yeah. we got powerlifting. We got, and you want to see guys like that untested powerlifting. We got untested as well. If you wanted to see some freaky humans do some freaky things, it kind of is show, right? It, like Strongman kind of is. They like leaned into this. So for me, I think his deadlift record um, is a strongman deadlift record is pretty much the same as anyone else's because it's it's all a little bit like that like we, we were saying it's all a little bit like you don't want to we yeah. can dissect any holes yeah it's it's that's it's in the same realm it's 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 roughly what you'd expect now I, i've seen chad wesley smith i had done a uh, instagram live commentary on it i didn't i was seeing sections of this i didn't tune in for the whole broadcast right but he was saying, look, we were on ESPN. By we, we I mean Strength Sports were on ESPN. And he's like, damn it, man. I was hoping they would have had... I don't know how much of that half Thor. Did you watch the whole thing or just... I, I just basically watched the lift and a little bit... No, I just I just saw the lift, yeah. Interview too. So I just showed up for the goods. I'm not, I'm not tuning in for two-hour preamble of a guy who's going to deadlift for like 60 seconds, right? But... um. He was yeah. saying, and I, I had to work this morning too, so that's I true. wasn't too, yeah. too zoned into that. He was saying he would have liked, and, and I didn't see it, so I can't super comment, but he would have liked it because we were on ESPN as a strength sport. A little more like backgrounds with like interviews with Sebastian Orp, who's his coach, interviews with Half Thor. What is the significance of this? Let's see a timeline of all the, of the deadlift record. Let's have quotes from Eddie Hall and build it up like, you know, a UFC. Where, all right, look at, yeah. you know, let's, this shit could be over in 30 seconds, you know, when it's a UFC fight. We need to fucking build the background story on why I give a shit. I need that. I need the main week to take yeah. And this isn't half the job. You can tie it back to John Paul Sigmarsson, like, let's there's go. no reason to be alive if you can't do the deadlift. Right. Like, just that playing, like, a sick pump video of, like, all these great Icelandic strongmen that came before. Build it. Not even feud. I feel like him and Eddie Hall are probably... They probably like each other a heck of a lot. Like, strength, respect strength. Like, I, there's no way they don't have this astonishing respect for each other. I, I, here's, so here's another so, thing. So this is also what I wanted to ask you. So anyways, in terms of that, I mean, this isn't half Thor's job. The guy's just like, look, I'm going to go for the record. I'm not going to fucking put together a whole production. That's some. I don't know whose job that would have been, but whatever. It is what it is. Um, I'm just glad they got it. Someone got it on ESPN, so we should be happy for that anyways. But um, mm-hmm. how do you... I originally thought the whole quote-unquote beef between Hafthor and Eddie was more than likely a staged... Both these guys are charismatic dudes. We're talking about... Yeah, I mean, these dudes, they know what they're doing, right? They're, they, they know how to work the social media angles. And I thought, man, this is brilliant. Eddie Hall's interjected himself into this, and, and it's built this up so there's far more tension to watching a guy pull a fucking single, a heavy deadly single in his hometown. And they built it so it's on ESPN and there's actually a storyline. Like, the athletes themselves did that. The production didn't milk that like they could have, but the athletes themselves did their damn job and hats off to both of them. Now they're like, we got to scrap. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, these guys are going to box. <laughs> they're like, we're going to scrap. 
But it's like that, uh, there's that show, what is it, on the History Channel, where it's Eddie Hall, Brian Shaw, and uh, a few other strongmen. You know, when they're competing against Make each friends. other, you can tell that they're, they're like, there's not much friendship there when they're competing, but then a- afterwards, they're just like, wow, dude, like, sucks that I lost, but fuck what you did was cool. Like, wow, like, you can just tell they just love the sport, and when people right. do amazing things in the sport that they love, there might have been a few going on, but then it was like, fuck that was cool like right good job and eddie hall is it becoming a very very fantastic marketer of himself he's he did what he said he was going to do like he wanted to win a world's strongest man and then retire not many people get to the top of the mountain and then just fit in it as she done it and now he's becoming like a full-on brand and mm-hmm. he's doing a great job and as part of that this whole like me in the mountain for Game of Thrones, who just took my deadlift world record, we're going to fucking scrap. <laughs> like, that's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant, man. Yeah. I don't think there's actual animosity there. No. I think it's just a brilliant PR move. In tr- look, in this day and age, it was KSI and Logan Paul. Now, neither of these gentlemen are quite KSI Logan Paul, but both Eddie and Hafthor have, like, over a million people on Instagram that follow them. Obviously, Hafthor, like you said... It was the mountain on Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is the biggest TV show possibly of all time. It's up there for sure. In recent years, it's a massive show. Eddie Hall's documentaries on Netflix, best-selling book, um, has totally milked it brilliantly, like you said. And so I think, oh, yeah. I don't, if, if they're like looking, and Eddie Hall's probably telling himself, I've done, I, like, I think he played it beautifully in terms of his career. I broke the deadlift world record, and everyone saw the footage of Arnold there on the sidelines cheering me on going up up and I broke and I remember being at work and people coming to me from work who don't give a shit about powerlifting or strongman they just know that I do and they read about it in the news and were like holy shit did you see that footage that one guy did this huge deadlift Arnold was there dude this this half thing is everywhere like I I'm very heavily into the investing world and I read investing news way too much like eight hours a day and i was reading on investing.com today and for some fucking reason they had the headline about half bjornsson deadlifting 501 kilos on their front page i'm like how how does a deadlift make it onto investing.com yeah i'm reading about like inverse candles and retesting of lows and just like you know futures contracts and how whatever and deadlift <laughs> what how does this like, work <laughs> how did this make it on here and that was this morning the timing could not be better Just, like the pandemic shut down all sports they have no competition whatsoever so they got on espn espn is like fuck it we need something we need content you're rock you're doing a deadlift single to world record fuck it you're hathor bjornson you're on game of thrones let's bring this guy on i seen mma website i'm an mma boxing fan and I see like MMA websites are covering it, being like, we don't have, we're dying. We, we're dying here. We need something to write about. We need something to do. So they're, they're posting about Hathor Bjornsson's deadlift. And then this one dude was um, Luke Thomas, who does like an MMA, like he did like a live deadlift companion show where he's watching the deadlift on his YouTube channel and you could watch him watch it. And then he'll show replays and talk about it because people are sports starved. So you couldn't have a better... Oh, yeah. If you're going to be like, because these dudes are such good marketers, both in terms of being, looking, I'm a large gentleman who's strong. 
how do I fucking milk this? Well, Eddie Hall has become like a national icon in Britain and the UK. And people know who Eddie Hall is beyond just strength sports. And just based off of that, in terms of his books and documentaries, etc., and his personality, he's so outspoken in interviews, so charismatic, beautifully done. Half the Aubrey Orton is like, look, I'm not great at interviews and shit. English isn't my first language. He gets into Game of Thrones and fucking becomes an absolute megastar. Now he's in movies fighting Jean-Claude Van Damme and the Kickboxer 27 and shit like that. The guy is, the guy is like, in terms of two dudes who recognize what they bring to the table and will maximize their marketing potential, they've done it beautifully, my friend. And the fact that the pandemic hit, sports shut down. Every single sports site, fucking stock sites, everything are like, we haven't, guys, girls love sports. Give us something. Give us something to talk about. So if they did, and I half fucking think they did. I know this boxing match thing. It didn't just happen when Hathor broke the record. And afterwards, he's like, Eddie Hall, you're talking shit. Let's fucking settle it in the ring. That, my friend, that was worked out long before the dead of record attempt. These fellas know what they're doing. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, the thing is, like, we're sports start, but there has never been a more active period in investing history, really. Like, there's lots to write about on investing. Oh, right that's true. So for that to be up there, like, I was like, what the hell? Like, I mean, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett is putting out his annual live webinar that gets, like, 100,000 viewers. You know, Amazon just posted earnings, like, we just crashed and almost fully, I'm getting too jargony. But like there is so much going on in the investing world that like, if you like learning about the shit, there's never a better time. So for a deadlift to make it <laughs> to investing.com, I was like, you guys are not hurting for material. You could yeah. not, you will never in your lives have more material to write about on the economy. And the financial economy. So that, that was pretty shocking. They, is, like, it was cool. It, uh, yeah, you're 100% right. We're facing, like, we're already eyeballing up recession, but this is nuts. People are talking, like, how deep can we go? How do we turn this around? You're right. This is this is absolutely fascinating. This is shit we've never seen before. And like, because of a pandemic, anyways, with the lockdown, like, a, basically a worldwide lockdown, you would think they have no shortage of shit to write about. For them to be writing about a deadlift record? What was that all? How did oh, they... I mean, there's... there's... I don't know. They just they just just put it there. Like this guy did this. Wow. What the fuck? That's crazy. Back to the collapse of the commodity market. Yeah. <laughs> That's so like, random. Oil went negative, and like front month futures are actually trading above twenty dollars a barrel for a bit. And this Icelandic guy deadlifted five hundred and one kilos, and should you sell off your savings? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're like I'm a little confused. I appreciate the update, but thank you. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, where'd that come from? And, um, and these fellas, so for Eddie Hall, not, not that he stepped away, obviously, from Strongman, my man's was like fucking like 200 kilo at one point, 440 pound range anyways, and now he's down. He's lost about 100 pounds off his body because he had to. The doctor was like, dude, you can't be walking around this big. You, you know, they force feed themselves and the whole nine. So yeah. he's way smaller for him. And he's telling himself, how do we milk this thing? Where, where am I going from here? Like, I haven't... For a guy to have not competed in the sport that he's famous for since 2000... 
fucking is it 18 or, or 17 whenever he won it for him to have not competed since then but he is probably the the second most talked about strong man in the world right now it's it's right it's, now yeah it's genius market for him to be like everyone's talking about him and half thor half thor just broke the record you can't talk about the record without mentioning eddie hall look, look and people will say um well yeah because it was eddie hall's record that's why you're hearing it nah come on listen People break records all the time. You don't even fucking hear the other person's name get mentioned. You just hear that they broke a record. How many times in powerlifting do we say, oh, that's a world record? I don't even say whose record it was they broke. It doesn't matter. But Unless Eddie, it's been standing for like right. eons, but yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that like a home run record or some shit like that in sports? But these guys have kind of positioned themselves. Eddie Hall has positioned themselves where, no, 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 no. You're breaking my record? I'm getting just as much press as you, my friend. I'm getting just as much interviews, yeah. reposts. I'm interjecting my damn self. And then the, the whole, why don't we do this? I don't, do you think it's fabricated? I, I, listen, honestly, I'll put, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up and say, I think they talked. And they're like, I'm going to talk some shit. You're going to talk some shit. Let's do a boxing match. Fuck it. We're, it's fine. It's a boxing match. It's still sports. These guys can't box each other, man. They are way too strong. The force output they create. Like, Dude! Yeah, they're both big, strong, tough guys. But these guys fucking, like, overhead press odd objects that weigh <laughs> 400 pounds. I know. Like, you're going to let someone who can produce that much for, like, your, your shoulders and your chest and your legs might have gotten massive and powerful. That jawbone is what it would have been if you were a dweeb. Yeah. You still have to have a human fist producing that much force hit that fucking vulnerable job open. Like, you're kidding. They're not going to they, – they're so strong, they could each kill each other with a single punch. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, it's going to be a guilty pleasure for me. I'm not expecting Muhammad Ali out there, but I tell you what, it's almost like you're taking two Avengers. It's almost like you took the Incredible Hulk and Thanos, put boxing gloves on and be like, let's, let's watch these fucking guys rumble. Like, you – we're going to watch. It's crazy. These are the two strongest guys in history. And they're I just hope fight. they don't kill each other. <laughs> yeah, like, but... like, I'm, I'm worried about, like, these guys aren't boxers. They don't have trained chins. They don't know how to take punches. They'll probably train for it. But, like, yeah. every everybody's got a fucking glass jaw. If the guy punching you is 400 pounds, you <laughs> yes. can bench 600. Yeah. Like, I don't care what your jaw's made of right. or how much boxing experience you have. That is... That amount of mass and velocity coming at human bone. It, it, and, and this is this is like how it's easily sold too. Where you have the strongest men in history. Like two superheroes are going to clash. And ordinarily I would have been like, well, who the f- is, are people really going to care? But then with this Logan Paul KSI boxing match, and I don't think it's going to be as big as that, but... Even size down, that boxing match made millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Those guys, the type of payday they got off of that boxing match, just off of being social media personalities, even if this is size down, these guys still have massive followings in the millions on social media, uh, recognizable in terms of the strongest men in the world, Game of Thrones. You talk about the branding, they fucking got it. So if these guys fight, it's a payday for these guys. It's not just a freak show. In oh, terms yeah. of like, in terms of like, what's the upside? Because someone's gonna lose. Someone's gonna. Someone could get knocked the fuck out, and that's very. That's. I mean, I'm like, who's gonna make fun of the guy who gets knocked out to his face, right? Not many people. <laughs> you right? But 
win or lose, they're probably walking away millions of dollars more. I honestly think they're going to make a huge paycheck off this shit. I honestly think, because it happened on ESPN, because on ESPN, Hathor said, I want to fight this guy in a boxing match. He just had all of America and international saying, the mountain from Game of Thrones has got a boxing match coming up. It was fucking perfect that he did that. I know they, I know it was planned. They knew, and and I guarantee you. It's only for the money. Right, right. And I guarantee you, ESPN, he, he capitalized on that to talk about the boxing match. I wish they would have done a little bit more in terms of the beef to sell the boxing match a little better. Whatever. But if they can get that boxing match on they ESPN. They have months to do that. Right. You're right. If they can get that shit on ESPN. Like, if they had a huge platform to announce the boxing match and everything. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in, buddy. I can tell you're fired up. <laughs> <laughs> this is like my world's colliding in terms of strength sports and boxing and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's true. This is really dream come true. <laughs> for me, for sure, yeah. Listen, I've had you on for an hour 45. I want people to be... Are you are you accepting clients right now? Uh, yeah, currently, yeah. Okay. How do people reach out to you if they want some coaching? Uh, they can just find me on my personal Instagram and fire me a message, and then we can kind of get the ball rolling through conversation. I don't work at this stage with just anybody. I don't care about how strong you are. Like I'll take somebody who's never competed. It's just a certain kind of attitude and desire to learn and and get better that I like to work with. So a little bit of conversation um, or just like an email introducing who you are. They can reach me. uh, My email is in my Instagram as well. I have a website. hasn't been updated since 2016. So let's just pretend it doesn't exist. Um, So We'll just use, yeah, that's how good, back to backtracking, that's how good I am at the business development side of things. Things took off and I didn't touch the website for five years. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, just, you know, you can reach me on, at Justin Reese on Instagram. Always happy to chat strength. I'm not the kind of guy where if you talk to me uh, about powerlifting, I'm assuming I'm making a sale. Like, if you have questions, ask them, I'll answer them. If uh, you're looking for coaching, I mean, again, I've coached 15 different world lifters, three world champions, hundreds of people, you know, this is what I do. And I, I like to think I'm pretty decent at it. So yeah, just reach out and we'll chat and see where it goes. And, um, what advice would you give to somebody if they were looking for a coach? Cause there's, there's a lot of coaches out there. What would you say to be yeah, like, look, right. here's some questions you should ask if you're looking for a coach. Uh, I mean, one of the big open-ended questions that should be asked, but are hard to answer is like, what is your coaching philosophy? Um, I think athletes would be well-served these days asking coaches what the coach thinks it takes to succeed, succeed long-term in powerlifting. Um, when I get questions like that, that's when I know I'm going to be working with somebody who's in, investing in themselves. They don't want to just get, bashed over the head with a club of volume and frequency because they see some lifters squatting four times a week and benching six times a week and they assume hard work is the answer um like people who kind of like what does it take for me to actually you know in three to five years accomplish these kinds of things it's like okay you're already about the process mm. so that's a good question to ask coaches and see what they answer um yeah, it's just, you just got to click with the person and 
there's no way asking a coach right off the bat, like, are you going to be able to adapt your coaching style to me? It's like, well, I don't know you yet, but I can tell you I've coached over 300, maybe 400 people over the, in the past 10 years. And everything I do is 100% personalized to their physical needs and then tailored constantly over time to match their personality. So yeah, like I will adapt to you because I don't have a method. And people are like, what's your coaching method? How did you get Brett Gibbs stronger? just stronger and all these people at worlds like what is your method i'm like i don't have one i just i find things that get people to buy in to the fact that this shit takes years to get better at and then i go deep on the technique coaching and then i i'm willing to be patient with development um so yeah i don't i didn't really answer your question too well there's no set questions it's that you can ask coach is you have to you have to see what they're about as open-ended as that is because chemistry matters. you're gonna be working with this person Uh, day to day what about vetting is there is there things you can ask to vet a coach to make sure you're gonna get attention and you're gonna get because some people you can have an amazing coach if they're stacked and you don't get the proper attention some other people might be getting proper attention but is there certain questions you should ask where you're like, look, make sure you're going to get this, that, and the other. And that's really where you're going to get quality attention and progress. Um, I mean, I, I had a, a phenomenal pre-coaching interview with somebody that, you know, we just jived. And then he asked how many clients I had. And at the time, it was down a lot more than usual because of this COVID shit. Um, and the only deterrent was that I had that many clients, but it's like, well, you have to understand as a coach, I take on the amount of clients that I know I can really invest in. Mm. So your perception of what a lot of clients is, is really erroneous in terms of how much attention you're actually going to get. Like I have people ask me, like, are you accepting new clients right now? If it's no, that means I don't have time to fully invest in you right now. If I say yes, it means I have time to fully invest in you right now. And mm-hmm. it's that simple. So I think that's more on the coach's responsibility to just be honest about whether or not they can accept that person as a client. Or just ask questions like, do you do face-to-faces? Do you do check-ins? How often do you check Yeah, yeah. Like, it's more that so than the that, number, right? That's a good question. Like, yeah, like what – Ask what the communication process is like. Right. Like, you know, how often, how do you communicate with your clients? Uh, um, do you watch training videos? How often do you think your lifters should compete every year? Which is, again, a, there's no right answer to that. Zero to five. It's, it's independent. But just asking questions that aren't about your own assumptions about what good coaching is. Because um, or what coach, good coaches can accommodate. It's like, how do you communicate with your lifters? Predominantly through email. That doesn't mean I don't have time to invest in you. It just means email is organized and clean. And when we have two years of archived training footage that's quick and easy to access, yeah. that's fucking efficient, man. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm not invested. I wish I could show you some of the emails I write people, man. They're like 2,000 words every <laughs> week sometimes. Like when we're really working on a set of things, there's just this huge constant feedback. And it's like, 
if I'm pumping that over to you on Facebook Messenger, two weeks later, you're not going to be able to find it. Yeah. If I want to see the last time that you deadlifted 272.5 and it was in June, I don't want to have to scroll up through Facebook Messenger to find that. I want to just be able to go to the Google Drive where we have it archived. So, like, there's certain things that people take as meaning coaches are overwhelmed or they don't invest, such as email communication, which is not fair. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really counterproductive, you know, unless someone's like, how many athletes do you have? It's like, oh, 95. Like, at that point, there's not enough hours in a month to manage that many people in a week, right? Um, But if it's like, if coaches say they can accommodate you, just if they have a pedigree of being reliable and successful, just believe them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like you said, if the chemistry's there in the process, you you're, you ask about the process, you got to buy into the process, essentially. But yeah. you know, you're right. In terms of the email, it's beautiful for archiving. Because, yeah, you could double back. Oh, be like, All right. The last prep, you competed in June. I'm going to roll back what was May, what was April. Let's take a look at these numbers. How did that work? What do we want to change? And it's right there, beautiful. And you just have it all there. Yeah, and like if, for example, a client is going on vacation in a month and they kind of tell you, like, oh, I'm going on vacation to this place. There's these gyms around, blah, blah, blah. And then that kind of gets left alone until it's time to go to vacation. If all that was described here, I don't remember. I can't find what equipment they're going to have available to them. Whereas on email, I can just like search inbox, semicolon, yeah. vacation, this name. Oh, right there. It's yeah. great. I'm, I, I, de- I definitely communicate through Facebook Messenger and stuff with my clients, but that's not the primary. Those are, those are like sound buddies. That, you know, I, like, I'm that dude too. To... Uh, we're, we'll have yeah. a conversation. We can have a conversation with Messenger. That's fine. But, or we'll have a conversation like this on a Skype and I'll be like, please email me the key points though. Or, you know, somebody, can, yeah. like I'm that dude need, who I'm like, some permanency. I need, I need an email afterwards to refer to. Thank you for the conversation. We can do a conversation. If someone reaches out for anything KOTL or whatever the side of it, and it's all like a messenger deal, I'm like, cool. I'm in. Shoot me an email though. Because that shit's, yeah. like you said, it's so much more archival and permanent. Um, last question yeah. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. When all is said and done, and you're an old guy looking back at your career powerlifting, how do you want to be remembered? Just as someone who loved the sport and loved helping other people love the sport. That's really, I had this, this conversation with Mike Tashir in Sweden, who I have a tremendous respect for. And we were just kind of talking about how branding in the USAPL is changing and that like subtle... I don't want to call it arrogance because it's an unfair description, but just that that clout camp, like just being strong but not really caring about how strong you are um, or just being like super hardcore. Like these different things were developing with the branding of what, how powerlifting has been moving, especially in the junior camps. Um, and I was like, I just like, I don't want to put all my effort into like creating these brand images or whatever it is. I just love powerlifting. And he just looks at me and he goes, I can tell, and I think that's just what your brand is, man. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, there you go. So that's, yes, yeah, someone who loved the sport, contributed to the sport, helped others love it, and, yeah, coach world champions. 
it's it's you're 100% right that um, there are like feels to coaching stats now and there are like branding and there are like images and there are like when you hear taglines or words being used or like there's there's actually culture to certain coaching like you know it, it's weird yeah. you 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 could be like oh you would seem like you would be a client of this group you would seem like it's 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 different. And I was struggling because I, I didn't have that. And that's what Mike and I were talking about. It was like, I, I haven't established myself as like the science-based is the only way. Or like, you know, like, we go hard. Not yeah, really. yeah. I was like, no, man, I just, I don't care who you are. If you want to get stronger, I guarantee I can help you do that. No matter who you are, I've, I've proven that. And that's because I just love the sport so much. Everything I think I know and everything I think I'm right about I'll scrap it and try new shit for you because this is one big science experiment and I'm in love with it. Mm-hmm. And that's so um, I think that's in the powerlifting world, that's how I want to be remembered. Just a guy who loved it and went all in for his people. I, honestly, man, I think you should never change. Because it's once you start being when you start recognizing trends like exactly we're the hardcore, we're the science based, we're the whatever. And you're like, I got to develop something. It becomes, I'm forcing this. It's not real. I don't want to fucking do this. It's disingenuous. It's disingenuous. I don't want to do this. And then it becomes a job. And then you start not liking your job. And you're like, how the fuck did it turn out I didn't like my job? I used to love my job. That's how. Yeah, I know. You did it to yourself by trying to participate in this taking over of the universe. Right. Which is kind of like what it is. Like just trying to dominate on social media, any of that. I don't want to be remembered for how many followers I had. Or, you know, I, I just want to contribute to people individually so that they spread a really pure and honest appreciation for the sport rather than just doing it to be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which you do see sometimes. Oh, dog. That's one of the things where, I mean, I feel like the older I get, the less I give a shit about being cool. <laughs> and being yeah. like you start being like that one saying where when I was younger I walk in a room and I would be like you know I wonder if these people like me and um, and you yeah. try to make them like you and then when you're older you walk in a room and you're like I wonder if I like these people <laughs> you're kind of like like right. if if I'm not vibing that's okay I don't hold it against you I just keep it moving though uh, we don't have to force anything we don't have to it's not, it's not that I don't like you it's just it's not there. And that's okay. I'm a, you do you, I do me. And you just move on. Whereas when you're younger, sometimes you're like, I want you to like me. How do I make you like me? Yeah. How do I, I need, make this I need happen? to succeed. I need to be loved and respected by everybody. Yeah, at one point, I wanted to be like very respected in the field. Like I wanted to be the kind of person that King of the List would invite on for podcasts, you know, get brought on for panels, whatever it was. Like that's something like I craved back when I was younger. And now it's just like, I'm kind of getting those things. I'm, I'm working with star athletes. I'm chatting with you on like one of the biggest powerlifting podcasts there are. And it's just, it's just fun. It's, it's just part of the fun of it. It's not about wrapping these things around my identity as a person. It's just, this is what I do now. I'm a powerlifting coach. I like it. And I'm talking to other people who like it. And I actually have gained the respect of coaches and lifters all around the world and I thought that would be like some fulfilling, transformative thing, but now it's just kind of the reality, and I appreciate it. And I got there by just 
staying in my lane. Isn't that funny, man? And how it works when you're like, oh, I, if I do this, if I have the, like everyone wants admiration of the peers, that totally makes sense. But it's when you stop chasing it or stop, it's when you kind of let go and almost be like, look, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, I'm just going to do my job and you focus on your shit and you just be genuine. And then all of a sudden, success comes and everything you were trying hard for before, you're like, how do I get there? It just fucking happens. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. uh, like it happens in a lot of things in life. Same, same thing for myself, man. When I'm hunting, sometimes I'm hunting too much. I'm trying too much and I'm not being my best self or I'm not being me and authentic. But when you're just like, you know what? I just trust the process. I'll put in my work. My work will speak for me. Doors is open, man. Yeah, like when Brett Gibbs approached me to coach him, I mean, like this guy had been at a world championships before I had paused a bench press. You know, like this is a guy I looked up to. This was like Sidney Crosby asking me to coach him, right? And how did it happen? Just every time I met Brett, I would just shoot the shit with him. And then we were in Newfoundland, just had yet another phenomenal meet. Um, and we're all having drinks after. And Brett and I are just like chatting, programming. And like he would just make a statement about, programming something and I would just be like no man like you gotta look at it like I was just comfortable challenging him not saying he was wrong or right but just opening up debates on everything like what about if you look at it this way blah 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 and you have this guy who's just like wow you know he's he's bringing up really interesting points about coaching and he's not he doesn't care that I'm Brett Gibbs we're just chilling and having beers Mm -hmm. and he's challenging me and i think that he just appreciated that that like i don't care who the fuck you are i'm going to try and find the best way and we're gonna work on it and we're gonna collaborate and then like he reached out a week later being like man like i want to chat about coaching i'm looking for a new approach i know you're a good guy and you're gonna go all in on this and like yeah i just think it would be awesome like i know we connect and that was just that and that's when i was like Holy fuck, did my powerlifting idol just hire me as this coach? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, how good does it feel when under your guidance, um, when he's like, let's, we're going to do a mock meet. Let's see where we're at. Let's see if this has been working. And you're like, holy fuck, I hope it goes well. Because it's like, this is it. Numbers don't lie. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. I remember being a little nervous at first, like, Yo, if I fuck up, everybody's gonna know. Like Justin Bush, <laughs> Brett Gibbs, and he, he fucking blew out his knee, and I don't know, got killed by an emu or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, like, or just has a terrible meet. Everyone will know. But if he succeeds, everyone will know. Well, he did succeed. Nobody really knows that I had anything to do with that. Like, almost nobody now. knows that I coached Brett Gibbs. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but I remember before that mock meet, I was like. Like, I sent him this whole game plan, like, attempts. He followed it to a T. We gave him the option for that fourth bench attempt at 227.5 or 500 pounds. Recorded this, like, long voice note explaining things, how to approach it, just let loose and have fun. Like, now's the time to just fucking go for it, you know? Um, And I remember going to sleep and, like, for fuck's sake, I really hope this goes well. Like, I <laughs> believe it will. We have all of the evidence that it's going to go really fucking well. He's been tearing it up. Like, I really hope it goes well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I woke up and he sends me the message. He's like, 10 for 10, because we gave him that option of the fourth bench. He's like, 10 for 10, PRs on everything. And 
yeah, I guess he totaled 1,800 pounds. And we didn't even know that because we think in kilos, right? Until someone points out that he totaled 1,800 pounds. And we were like, to the to the pound. Like it was wow. 18.00, you know? We were like, what the fuck? Like you totaled 1,800 pounds, dude? You're yeah. an 83. Like that was crazy. But it, yeah, at first there was, I was a little intimidated. Like, I mean, I've been working with clients like Jess and some other world lifters for so long, but I started with them when they were not what they are now and had so much time to learn as they became as excellent as they are where I just you know got a multiple time world champion. Right. It's like, okay, well I, I didn't help you get here. So I don't know best methods yet for you specifically. Um, so yeah, there was, there was a little bit of nervousness, but then it was just me being like, if I communicate well, and just keep this a really open and ongoing discourse about how training's going. I know that I'm going to be able to adapt whatever we're doing to be successful in time. I just like, don't put pressure on yourself to make this perfect program right off the bat, put out something good and very intelligent that has a lot of room to develop around Brett's actual performance week to week and his mm-hmm. feedback week to week. And it just grew into something totally different than what it was supposed to. But I just flowed with it. And that's how I coach in general. Like you I don't usually week week? use. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. See, that's what I, that's what I want to know. That's a question people should ask a potential coach is, are you firing me a template and here's four weeks, eight weeks, or are you actually manning the ship here and paying attention and actually shifting week to week, which is big. Sorry. Moving back upstairs just to plug the laptop in. Just realized she's at two percent. Holy shit! Whoa, yeah, wait, we're 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 pushing it. Actually, I could just bring that charger down there. Sorry, brother. This is no great worries. internet content. No worries. <laughs> the podcast guest didn't plug in his there's, laptop. This, there's, there's this is who I am as a person. <laughs> there's there's nothing like that two percent warning where you're like, oh lord. Or you're just at the, if you're just at the end of a movie, you look up and it's 2% and you're like, holy shit, I came close. Yeah, I just made it. Uh, but yeah, like I, I update the programming week to week. I have a general idea of where we're going. Usually the training system is set up in a way that I want to achieve certain things, like certain outputs that will be indicative of growth and progression. And then... Like, for example, for Brett, it was, I wanted him to triple 300 kilos on deadlift. When I saw that, I knew he was going to be good for that 330 pull. Mm. That's exactly what it was. So we hit that 300 triple on deadlift that, uh, you know, sets like that, outputs like that, that you know were just objective markers of growth. And then you flip from that, and now we have, like, an actual three- or four-week, very structured, very set path that gets to the test, the meet, whatever it is. The programming is generally really amorphous. I don't have like a set framework of, you know, how many days a week. I have some people who train three times, six times, four times, whatever. Some people's training cycles last 17 weeks without a deload because we're just ebbing and flowing applied stress over and over and the wave goes up over time. Some people can't sustain that and they just like a hard ass push for four to five weeks and then two light weeks, whatever. And it's just, it changes. And I never go into, unless it's 
a meet is like 10 weeks away. There's a lot more set structure on how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. But if it's like you're competing, you have this meet in six months, we're just going to do some really productive training, get better. I'm going to find ways within the programming itself to ensure objective progression. But we're also working on the qualitative side of things. And we want you having fun. If you feel good, you're training a lot and it's all going well, even if it's not the perfect program, those are recipes for extreme success. You're feeling good, you're moving well, you're liking going to the gym, you train 10 weeks in a row without any kind of injury. Yeah, there could have maybe been some like more management of the volume metrics and all this, but that's less important than just training really well. Consistency basically is, is uh... yeah. And that's, I find that good programming creates a, a, a framework of good, healthy, consistent lifting that gives you the opportunity to improve on the qualitative elements like technique and, and speed and whatever it is. Um, that's good programming to me. Cause if you can do that shit over and over and over again, yeah, you might've put more kilos on your total. If there's this perfect structured periodization model with volumes that Evan, like they, they compress and expand when they're supposed to, you might get stronger in 12 weeks, but in 12 months, you might need to take four months off lifting because you push too hard. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. And essentially you can only do these things by collecting this data from your lifters and being a two. Basically it's like, where are we at? To start making these calls. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't customize it without, without a little bit of samples. Basically you, you, mm-hmm. that's one thing that a coach really needs is like, I'm not sure how many days a week you should be benching. I don't know. Let me see though. Let's start oh, with you, this. You just make, exactly. And, and let, let's see how this works. We'll add in some things. We'll take out some things and we're going to morph. We'll start with a nice beginning based off of what you've done before, what I've done before, whatever. And let's fucking, let's see how this story goes. Right? Yeah. Like I, I had one kid approach me. He's like, you seem to coach a lot of really good squatters. How many days a week do you have your lifters squat? I was like, uh, are they male or female? How, how long have they been lifting? How tall are they? How strong are they? Have they had any previous knee injury? Like yeah. either I don't have a set program. I just have a really keen understanding of mechanics of a squat. And then I create a programmatic framework upon which we can work on getting stronger at squatting and better at squatting without snapping your shit. Mm -hmm. That's how many times a week I have people squat two, three, four, whatever they can flow with Mm -hmm. while fitting those parameters that I need to be there for success. And over time, you're probably getting better and better as a coach with these people because you collect more and more data. So now you're making more and more personalized decisions and it just gets better and better as opposed to some people who might bounce from coach to coach to coach real quick. And like, ah, I didn't really work out with that coach. It's like, how much did that coach have to work with you though? Like how many numbers did he get as a, or, or she for sample size to customize it for you? Initially, if you just walk in, they can ask some background questions and but they don't know if you were doing it right in the first place. So they're like, all right, well, let's start, let's start here. But it takes some time, doesn't it? Like it's, you can't yeah. just, you don't know what the proper answer is. There is no right or right, right or wrong answer. It takes time yeah. to develop these things. 
I always start with a pretty mild app. It's always fully customized from day one, week one. But I always go for a pretty mild application and explain like, we want this week to be easy. Yeah. I'm just like, you're, we're getting a sense for how this kind of frequency feels. And I just need to watch a lot of your lifting. So film me like 18 lifting videos this week and do it again next week. And then I'll actually start to, to have a better idea of we're going to take a right turn when I thought we might've taken a left turn or like, Oh, she's not actually weak on bench press. She just relies on leg drive too much. We could fill that gap, whatever it is. And yeah, it just gets, it starts custom and then gets ridiculously endlessly customized as time goes on. There's no general framework outside of like sensical things leading into meets or, or ending periods of elongated training, like volume goes down, intensity goes up and yeah. kind of wave it as you need to. I got obviously understand the science of human performance and adaptation. Um, but within that box, there's a lot of shit that's happening because of you, what you're telling me, how you're performing and how we want you to lift, not what we want you to lift, but how, and then we start to take that and move that towards the, what we want you to lift. And once you accomplish that and you've lifted what and how, then it's like, now we're going for something. I, I like feel now like, we have three weeks and we're testing. I feel like this is what people need to ask their, their coaches. How do you, when you devise your programming, how do you do so? It basically, um, because I don't, honestly, like going back to well, how many, how many athletes do you have? It doesn't fucking matter how many athletes you have. All right. If you're able to collect my data, review my videos and make it personalized based off of the information you got from me, we're good. We're good. If you, if you're doing that, saying, yeah. that's it. That's basically what you want to know is like, is this going to be my program? Or you, or my, I might as get a makeshift program, but that's it. And so that's essentially what athletes need to ask their coaches: like, how do you devise these programs? Are we? Is this going to be really personalized to me, or just a little bit shaked up here and there? And how often are you viewing my videos? And like, what can I expect in terms of this programming for me? Am I getting the most of it? So it's really my program. And exactly what you said, described. Yeah. If they describe what you basically described, all right, good. I'm comfortable. That's all I need. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. I don't give a shit if you got five clients, but you could have a you could have only five clients, but have a fucking day job that you're ten hours a day. It doesn't matter if you got five clients or fifty clients. You may or may not give me what I need, but if you tell me everything you just told me, and that's how I'm getting my program. All right, okay, we're good. You know, and it, it, it's it's it was funny. It was nationals in Ottawa a few years back. I had like nineteen people or something ridiculous, and there was one day where I had like four people in one session and I had three in the session before and they were all kind of hanging out and chatting and I was just sitting around eating, whatever. And I hear them talking about like how, what they do in all their training. I write all their training, right? They're like, whoa, you only bench twice a week. Your bench has gone so well. The cycle is like, I've been benching four times a week. Like it's felt good, but like, I think this might not be the meat really real, really see it. And they're like, does he make you do those pause squats too? And they're like, no, nah, he's never made me do a pause squat. Yeah. Fuck, we do these weird things with pause deadlifts. They're so hard, but it's worked. And they're like, why don't you make me do that? I'm like, cause you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no, you know, and it's like hearing them chat about how different all of their training is and they've all gotten better. It's kind of like, I don't know if every coach does that. I just know that that's always what made sense. Every single client or person I work with is 
someone who wants to get better at something, that's the problem, and I just get to solve that problem, and that's mm-hmm. fine. No, I'll tell and you straight yeah, up. I get a kick out of it. Not every coach does that. Do that, my friend. That's why people should ask. Some coaches don't. It won't be. You just won't get that. It won't be straight up personalized. Maybe they do for some of the top end clients, but not everybody's going to get personalized. Actually, get the best out of you. And that's the only way you can make decisions with a sample size. You know, the more samples you get, the more decisions you get. That's why also people shouldn't bounce around from coach to coach. I haven't seen much gains from this coach. How long have you been with him? Nah, three months. Maybe give him a second here. Yeah. Have a conversation with the coach. Be like, what's going on? And he's like, he can, he's still collecting data. You know, he doesn't know. It's yeah. very... Not, not even data, like numbers and shit. There's, you're still just compiling and understanding. Right. Which it is data and stuff, right. but I don't want listeners to assume that, like, us coaches are, like, there with calculators. Like, oh, no, we used a little bit too much volume. We should tinker with that. No, it's like... You're learning about how people react to certain stresses at, at it's always at like a qualitative level. How do you feel? How are you lifting? Mm. That's what matters. And that's the real data you collect. And then, yeah. I mean, if I, you know, I have a client, if after two to three months, really amazing shit happens, I'm like, wow, like I'm stoked that we kind of struck gold in our first attempt at things here. Like, that's really awesome. Like, I'm going to be honest, it doesn't happen all the time. When I start with people, I'll always be like, we might not have hit, hit a home run on our initial approach, but I adapt it so often mm-hmm. um, that, you know, by the six, eight, ten month, three year mark, I'm going to understand absolutely everything about how you respond to stimulus. And that, you know, the longer we work together, the better it gets. Like, I have this one, one guy out in Alberta. You know, we had, he's done about seven meets together now. He would add 10 kilos here, five kilos to this meet, 10 here, blah, blah, blah. And then I just really started getting a bead on how he responded to things. And then we added 50 kilos to his total in six months after already adding like 100 kilos in the previous two years because I just learned more and more and more. And I was like, you know what? I'm about to make him do this not traditional it's not conventional but i just really feel like it's gonna work and he just trusted me enough he's like yeah sure we'll go for it yeah and it's like something and brett's even said that to me too like you know sometimes his clients will ask him like why are we doing this like you know we can try and explain the nitty-gritties of the whys but there's a few times where he would ask me like what's your what's your logic here and i would just be like man, I'm, I'm not going to try and make shit up here. I just really believe it's going to work. And he's so mature. He's like, oh, that's good enough for me. Well, you got, look, at, sometimes you have to try. Like, you don't know if you don't try something. It's got to, you got to experiment. You can't be afraid to experiment. Like, this is working. Let's not, let's not do something different. It's like, well, you ever, there's an off season, so to speak. You don't have a competition coming up. Let me try something. Let me fucks with this. Yeah. If this works, if this reaps some kilos, Good. If not, okay, well, when we peak, we'll take it out, but you got to try. But even with the, the week-to-week shit, like there's sometimes, you know, what was it? Um, I, I can't remember exactly. Before he tripled 300 on deadlift, you know, we had done like ascending triples, then he doubled 290, and then I told him, I think we're going to triple 300 next week, and I gave him 295 for a single. The week prior, he's like, 
why do we need 295 for a single if we're going for a triple next week, dude? And I was like, I honestly just really believe that that's all the stimulus you need to get it done. Like, I just feel like it. It's right. And he's like, true, perfect, it's all, it's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, I trust you. If And as a coach, you have enough experience that if you feel like something's going to work, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important. And it worked out. It worked out. Listen, all right. Now we're at two, two, two hours, 20 minutes, my friend. Thank you for your yeah. time. Much appreciated on a Saturday night, no less. Um, love to have you back, yeah. sir. Love to have you back. Um, especially like, shit, let's see when we get powerlifting back in the swing of things. Maybe we'll talk leading into hopefully Worlds. If it's going to happen in Belarus, or at the very, you're going to, I'm assuming, wow, oh, shit, let's not assume nothing. Who knows what's going to happen I didn't, in 2020. I didn't even end up applying to, to work for Team Canada this go-around because my business was absolutely imploding due to gym closures worldwide as the application process was taking place. I don't even think Matt Goldsmith applied either because we were, everything, so much crazy shit was happening. Yeah. So I'm technically not on staff yet, um, but I'll have a number of lifters there and I would just go with them. I really hope it's not Belarus though, man. I hated it there in 2017. Really? I hated it. It's I like it. I liked it. I don't know, man. I loved it. I found it didn't have much character. I don't know. Like, Sweden was awesome. I loved Sweden. Sweden was awesome. Helsingborg is a beautiful city. Sweden. You know, walking through a castle courtyard every day to go to the venue. That was cool, man. Sweden was dope. Sweden was super dope. I liked, um, things, we went to a couple restaurants. Here's the thing. We didn't, if I was there just on my own, and I was just with Team Canada, I wouldn't know some of the things I knew. Like, we got taken to because um, the meat director had us go to like the meaty team and the IPF people go to specific restaurants and shit. Absolutely amazing. They had live bands doing the cultural music from Belarus. They had dancers. All of us got up and danced to this Belarus. See, commercial. I didn't get any of that. Right. So I, I think my ex- it's all about your experience, right? So I actually got to experience Belarus differently. And afterwards, we were like, "Fuck, man!" And the and the and the banquet, the the disco in the basement of the arena. It was one of the yeah. better banquets, man. It, things got wild. Like, people, it was wild. Because it was just ours. There was nobody. We weren't at, like, a bar. Like, Sweden, the banquet, it was all right. But we all dispersed afterwards. And people just clustered everywhere. And you lost. You you, you might not have even seen other lifters. You're just, like, wherever. Different bars all over the place. In Belarus, because there was language barrier and the whole nine, we just were like, look, if this is where the banquet's at, let's stay here. And it was a fucking disco. You didn't have to leave. So we were like, all the lifters stayed together, which I liked because I got a chance to like shoot the shit with everybody and and the whole nine. And it wasn't, I mean, Zadruin Savikas was in the fucking banquet, the sixth, the like five time, four time world strongest man. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to talk to him. And the other IPF BD team guys like, go talk to him. Like, nah, man, I can't. They're like, go talk to him. He wants to talk to somebody. Everybody's afraid to him. Like, I should. He's like, yeah, I go talk to him. Yeah, you like, talk to Big Z, man. I talk to Big Z, dude. And um, so I, I like Belarus. We'll see. We'll see, man. I mean, it's all about the experience. I mean, I, I, I was just again. I was only there for like five or six days and just coaching hard. That's true. And then like, you go back to your dinky little hotel room right. and you want to have a beer and it's, it's like fucking six bucks or whatever and right you know a guy two stories above me got thrown out of a window to his death well there was that uh so that that wasn't too inspiring feeling good around the place um yeah but anyways 
this has gone on a lot. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's been a good chat. I feel like that if we don't stop ourselves, we're just gonna keep rapping. We will stop. right? I got yeah, smash we'll food too. Chatting. But anyways, man, yeah, listen. Man. Thanks for coming Happy on. Happy to do this again. It was uh, yeah, it was fun, man. And then I mean, you're pretty close by too. We can always train together and then just chat, bro. For sure. But yeah, we'll do it live next time. I'll bring calf. We we'll smash some weights, make a day out of it. Sounds good, man. Okay, buddy. Have a good one. All right, take it easy. See ya. Bam. Just in recent, uh, national team head coach for Canada, coach of Brett Gibbs, Jessica Bittner, and like uh, a bunch of other people, three or 400 other people over the years. And he's got some stories, man. I hope you liked it. I did. Got a lot from it. Please subscribe. Put it up in your Instagram stories. Tag us. Tell your friends the whole nine. Much appreciated when you do. Give us high ratings. And until next time, six-pack lap it at. Peace.